Hey, y'all, and welcome back to the Playmakers Corner podcast. I'm your host for today's episode, Cody Stoffer. But don't worry, you will be hearing from the other hosts. And actually, I'm going to pass it over to Mason Austin to talk about the middle school football games that he attended. And then I'm going to also pass it to Simon Villanos. They covered all the middle school games this weekend. So without further ado, Mason Austin. How's it going, everyone? My name is Mason Austin, and you're listening to the Playmakers Corner podcast. I'm going to go ahead and be talking about this Thunder versus Thunder middle school football game. So to start, I'm going to go ahead and just do a brief overview of this game. It was a very defensive-minded game. We did see Thunder Gray versus another Thunder team that I'm not quite sure which one they are, but we've been following Thunder Gray for a little bit now. So Thunder Gray did go ahead and start the ball game out. Uh, they did go ahead and throw a double pass, which went for about 20 yards. Then their draw did go ahead and stall, but they did go for it on 4th and miss. So then it was 4th and 11, and then turnover on downs there. The other Thunder squad did go ahead and drive, but then got to a 4th and 11. Missed a uh, punt, a kind of rough snap. Then they did go ahead and uh, run it back for about 4 yards, but then did get stuffed. Thunder Gray cover a turnover where they did force a fumble, where they did go ahead and try and take a strike down the middle where one of the other Thunder team's players had amazing coverage and did go ahead and block it. So driving at this point for the opposite Thunder team, number 21, and get a sack for Thunder Gray, forcing a third and 15, where Thunder Gray did go ahead and get another third down stop, but on fourth and 10 they threw it, which was a tip drill where it went through the hands of the other Thunder squad, then Thunder Gray's hands tipped off of both of them into another of the other Thunder's team, making them go and actually for a go-ahead score for a 6-0 because they missed the two-point conversion. Then on the next drive, Thunder Gray did have number 14 go for a 58-yard run on fourth down, bringing up a fourth, first and 10 sorry on the 16. The other Thunder team did go ahead and force a third down where number 10 did run for about a six yard touchdown where number one for this Thunder Gray team did go ahead and make a beautiful block downfield, making it 6-6 because they both missed the extra points. The ball went back and forth a couple different times going one side of the ball to the other. Um, that did bring up half at 6-6. Thunder did start with the ball, and they did end up punting because number 21 was getting it done on that defensive line for Thunder Gray. I do want to talk about the discipline of this offense for the Thunder Gray team. I saw them get this opposite Thunder team offsides about four or five times throughout the game, and it did come on this next drive, which did bring up a first down and goal on the six, where number 53 did go ahead and take it in for a Thunder Gray touchdown, making it 12-6. Then the opposing Thunder team was driving, but got forced by number 10 and number 3 on a third down pass coverage to bring up a fourth and six. There was a turnover on downs forced by the Thunder Gray team, where number 53 for this Thunder Gray team did take it around the edge and have a couple good stiff arms, but eventually it did end in a third and 15, then an incompletion, then a punt, where number one forced a fumble on a beautiful hit, where number 26 ended up picking it up and running it back for a touchdown, making it 18 to six. Again, it was going back and forth throughout this fourth quarter, 
where it was 18-6. The Thunder did go ahead and end up turning the ball over in their own area, like red zone-ish, where this other Thunder team did decide to throw the ball, where number one did go ahead and pick it off and run it for roughly about 56 yards, but it did get brought back on a block in the back, which was a questionable call by this officiating crew, but, you know, they make the call, and that's what it is. But that did go ahead to Thunder running out the game, winning the game, 18-6. Now, for this opposing Thunder team, not Thunder Gray, I would like to call out a couple players. Uh, I saw number 18 on that side, which was the quarterback throw with extreme accuracy and zip. He had some poise in the pocket, which was a very cool thing to see for such a young quarterback. They had a nice little running back in number, I guess not number, but double zero. He uh, was definitely their starting running back, and he played very well throughout the entirety of this game. Now coming back to this Thunder Gray squad, I'd like to call out number 14. His name is Nathan. Number 21, Mo Finnell. Number 8, Jaden Hopkins. And number 53, Colin. Not to mention number 1, who did get it done. On both sides of the ball, running the ball, but also forcing a fumble and getting an interception. Uh, number one is Chase Pruitt, young CMC. He's actually the one that we go out there. Uh, he introduced us to this Thunder team, which is probably one of the best defenses or better defenses I've seen at the middle school level. I will give young CMC my player of the game for this game, getting it done for them, forcing a fumble and... You know, that interception makes that defense not beatable at that point. Now, looking forward, there are going to be, uh, this Thunder Gray team is going to playoffs next week. Um, I will be at that game as well, and I wish them the best of luck. Now, I was also like to talk about this Dakota Ridge Middle School team facing Mile High. Simon and I both made it out to this game, and we got to see number 12. Landon Callsbeck, who did get both of the touchdowns for this game for Dakota Ridge. Um, I don't know the rest of his players' names, but I do say that number two did a great job running the ball for him. And on the opposite side of the ball for this Mile High team, number nine, their quarterback, was getting it done with some zip running the ball. He was a tough guy to beat, and he was very tall for a middle school quarterback. And number 24 running the ball very proficiently for them. We are going to go ahead and try and get out some more of these Dakota middle school games. Um, we'd like to see Mile High again. we just like to go ahead and get our eyes on everyone we can. But that will go ahead and wrap up my middle school segment for today. My name is Mason Austin, and this is the Playmakers Corner. Thank you. And thank you, Mason, for giving us the down low. And we will check back in with you later in this episode i believe you'll be talking about 4a but we're going to pass the torch over to simon villanos who also went to a few middle school games and is also also going to talk some freshman high school football as well just in that same category of talking about up and coming prospects so take over simon What's well, good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Simon Villanos, and I'm here to talk about the middle school level of football, at least the games that I went to this past weekend. But before I do that, I was actually able to attend the Pine Creek versus Regis Jesuit freshman game uh, this last Saturday. It was like 9 a.m. Shout out to my boy Cameron Cooper for inviting me out because uh, this was a good one. There's a lot of good prospects 
on both teams that, uh, you know, could turn up. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, just kind of talk about the game briefly here and then talk about some players that stood out. And by the way, what I mean by prospects that could turn up, I mean by prospects that, you know, might have an impact next year or sooner in the playoffs. You know, maybe they might see some playing time. But first and foremost, I just got to say, Pine Creek did end up beating Regis. Uh, it really wasn't that close of a game. Regis did drive into the red zone a couple of times, but other than that, no points uh, or not a lot of points for the most part in Pine Creek really just kind of outscored them and did their thing. Uh, Cameron Cooper, quarterback, he's a freshman quarterback for Pine Creek. I think he's somebody that you got to be paying attention to. I've talked about him a couple other times. I'm pretty sure I did a film breakdown on Cam as well, but you know... As a freshman, he's gotten better pretty much every single game. I remember, I, I want to say I watched his freshman game versus Vista Ridge as well. You know, and he's uh, he's looking good, man. He's a guy who could run and throw. He could do it all. He's that dual threat. And, you know, right now, Pine Creek does have senior quarterback Jojo Roy there. But after this year, you know. I think this might be Cam Coop's team moving forward. We'll just have to see. You know, you never know. But he did look really good. He made some really nice passes, including this absolute bomb he threw to, I want to say, number three. I want to say it was number three on Pine Creek. And he, like, Cam, he was just running around, and then he threw it while on the run, like, 60 yards or something downfield. Well, it was a 60-yard touchdown, at least. And they scored, and it was insane, you know. It was just oh my gosh now the ball did float a little bit but you now at this point it was kind of like a scrambling drill and the receiver kind of just uh, snuck behind the safety cam found him and he just threw it as well as he could and you know that was just an excellent play right there Another player that really stood out in this game was number 28, the running back for Regis Jesuit. I think in the first quarter, he did have a 50-yard rush. Um, obviously, didn't result in any points, but he was doing his thing every now and then. And so that running back for Regis, you know, he looks strong. He's fast, athletic, all that stuff. He'll be an interesting player to follow moving forward, uh, you know, as the years go on. Now... Um, like I said, Pine Creek pretty much won this one pretty easily, so I just want to mention a couple other players. Uh, number 58 for Pine Creek, he played on the defensive side of the ball a lot. He had a sack, a tackle for a loss, uh, made a lot of noise, you know, really made a lot of noise on the defensive side for sure. Number three, I mentioned him before on that touchdown pass. Uh, he caught a couple other passes, and then uh, specifically in the second quarter around the six-minute mark, he had a really good pass defense on third down. Uh, and it was a deep pass. It was basically one-on-one, -on -one, and he did a really good job playing the ball, preventing the pass. And, you know, Regis, they were taking their shots this game, you know. They were trying to see what they had there and be aggressive versus this Pine Creek defense. But, you know, a lot of the time this defense was in man-to-man, -man, or at least it seemed to be. And, you know, they just did a good job of winning those one one battles and so not only shout out to him but shout out to the dbs for pine creek on that freshman team doing a very nice job as well and speaking of dbs number nine for pine creek he had a really nice red zone interception um in the first half i'm pretty sure and so that was pretty huge he also had a he had another interception in the fourth um it was a Jeez, it was like a real deep pass and whatnot, and he kind of just soared and uh, undercut that route, got the interception there, killed another Regis Jesuit uh, drive, and so he was really doing a, a good 
like he was just balling out out there, you know. He is a very impressive player as well. I need to ask about his name. But number nine for Pine Creek on their freshman team had a really good game. Oh, and also in the fourth quarter with a minute left, he had a really good block where he just... Oh my god, he pancaked the DB in front of him and allowed Cam Coop to score a rushing touchdown. Unfortunately, the refs called it a hold. It's It wasn't a hold. I was right there, basically, like, you know, a couple yards away from the play. Uh, it was a good block, and so I gotta give him his credit. He's a very nice skill player that Pine Creek has out there. Well, you know, nothing new. Not Really nothing new. I, I don't think so, at least. Um, so yeah, there you go. I'm pretty sure that is... It for the most part, like I said, Cameron Cooper, he had a good game. Um, he had a really long 40-yard-ish touchdown run, I'm pretty sure. And then he had a nice throw to the corner on third down. Um, Pine Creek was driving at this point in the fourth quarter. Third down, I'm pretty sure he was getting blitzed because it was one-on-one -on -one coverage on the corner route. Found his receiver. Threw the ball towards the sideline, but still accurate, and so that was a really good throw. Uh, like I said, Cameron Cooper, if you don't know the name, you got to at this point. He is a very talented player. Uh, last year, when I was looking at his film, doing his film breakdown, he made... He made some good improvements to his mechanics. I would say he used to have a really bad hitch. Now he doesn't. This is like his second straight year without playing with that bad hitch in his throwing motion. And so it's really just smooth, you know, and he has a great arm. He could run around, make people miss. Uh, he's a true dual threat in my eyes. He's a true dual threat. And so that's definitely a guy to look out for along with these other players that I mentioned here. And then lastly, before I forget, number 72 for this Pine Creek team. Uh, Devontae Johnson, 6'3", 270. He is a freshman right now, class of 2025. He impressed as well. He played... He I, they moved him around quite a lot on defense he was a defensive tackle that's I mean you know that's obvious on offense I did see him at right tackle there are times I want to say he was over at left tackle or guard you know but Regardless, he had some really good plays where he was just blocking well, neutralizing uh, you know, some of the guys on the Regis Jesuit front because that Regis line, at least on the freshman level, was pretty big, I would say. You know, they could definitely cause some problems there. And so he did a good job kinda, you know, stopping some of that pressure and allowing Cam to do his thing. But anyways, that's the Pine Creek versus Regis Jesuit freshman game. Um I'm Really confident in both of these uh, freshman teams. They're going to be big time in a couple of years here. You know, you just watch. But uh, let me go ahead and jump into the middle school game I went to. And that was the Aurora Spartans or Spartans Black versus the Warriors. Whoever won this game would advance to the top tier of the playoffs. And, you know, in that top tier... You got Brady Vodica's Bruins. Also, Noah Moss is on that squad. You know, that's a squad that will go up and uh, play for Cherry Creek High School next year. And probably one of the more talented squads in the state for sure. You have Riken Banks and his Parker Hawks team. I did a breakdown on him. And then you have that Raptors Silver team that we've covered the last couple weeks. Didn't cover this week because we wanted to cover these uh, other important games. Because basically the Raptors are in. You know, this last game really didn't matter that much. But, you know, that Raptors team made up of pretty much all Colorado Springs, the Castle Rock talent, you know, T.I., Amar Kyle, Jaden Rin, uh, all of them boys over there, you know. And so that would have been the tier that the Spartans would, you know, be in for the playoffs, uh, along with the Warriors, depending on who won this game. And so I'm just going to be real, you know, most of y'all listening to this, uh, well... 
maybe not most of y'all, but a good amount of y'all probably already know the Warriors did win this game and by a lot. You know, it, it got ugly pretty quickly. I'm not even going to lie. got ugly pretty quickly. And so I just want to go ahead and mention a couple plays here that the Royal Spartans made that I really liked. And then some plays uh, that the Warriors made over and over again by some uh, interesting players on their squad that I want to make sure I give some love to as well. But right off the bat for the Aurora Spartans, uh, DJ Bordeaux on the first play. Well... On the first offensive play, found his boy, number 15, Tanner TJ, for a beautiful 80-yard touchdown. It was a flea flicker to start out. DJ, even though it was a flea flicker, he was getting a lot of pressure, threw under pressure, just let that ball go. That ball, it must have flew at least 50 or so yards in the air and found his Wide receiver, number 15, Tanner. Wide open, got past the safety. And Tanner, he made a beautiful behind-the-shoulder catch, or sorry, over-the-shoulder catch, and then just basically walked into the end zone because he was wide open. Very good pass by DJ. Uh, I don't know how much he was really able to set and throw there, but he put a lot of mustard on that thing and just let it go, and Tanner did the rest there. And that kind of got the Spartans on the board after the Warriors scored a pretty nice touchdown on their opening draft drive and then another i guess highlight i want to um you know give credit to dj4 and by the way it should be on our instagram i know we posted it on our story we might post it on our tiktok we'll just have to see about that but dj had an excellent scramble for like 40 or 50 yards where he basically you know ran like 20 ish yards and then around the 50 yard line he just hurdled like, completely cleared this linebacker, or I don't know if it was a linebacker, but defensive player for the Warriors. It was a very clean hurdle, didn't touch him at all, and then he also ran for another 20 yards after that, threw a little stiff arm in there. That kind of got the sideline going, and that was pretty hype, not gonna lie, but unfortunately in this league, you can't, I'm pretty sure you can't leave, or your both of your feet can't leave the ground, and so... It was called back. It's a spot call, so it was still like a 20-yard scramble and whatnot. DJ would find his boy, number 10, Juice, for a 40-yard reception. It was a really nice reception, by the way, Juice. He got off that press and then got some separation. DJ threw a perfect pass, and Juice caught it, and so that was pretty big time. But unfortunately, the Spartans wouldn't be able to convert, and then that's kind of when <laughs> things just got away uh, from the Spartans here. But... You know what, let me go ahead and give some love to the Warriors because that is the team that will be in that top tier of the playoffs real quick. So, number 7 had a very good game. So, I'm just going to go down the line with my notes here, actually, and just list off what he did. But, start off the game, he had a nice little 10-yard rushing touchdown. Obviously, it was set up by some of their other backs as well. That's why it was only 10 yards, but got the opening touchdown. After that DJ touchdown to Tanner, uh, number seven on the Warriors also got a 60-yard touchdown run, which was pretty insane there. And then later on in the game, he would have a 40-yard touchdown run. And uh, yeah, I'm, and then I think I just stopped taking notes at this point. But he had a very nice game. He's a speedy little back that has a lot of juice on him. Uh, number 13 for the Warriors. He had a great 90-plus yard touchdown run where he just threw a nasty stiff arm. And he got going. And so, you know, that was pretty big as well. He did his thing there. 
And then finally, number 22 had a real nice 80-yard touchdown run for the Warriors. This Warriors team has some athletes on there, and so it'll be really interesting to see how they stack up uh, in a minute here. I'm going to talk about all the middle school games that, you know, the Playmakers Corner, the PMC fam, will be attending this weekend because we will be seeing this team again. Well, really both teams, but bottom line, the Warriors move on. You know, they're the top tier uh, or they make the top tier playoffs in this AYL league. The Warriors Spartans, their season's not over. They're still going to the playoffs. They'll be playing in their own bracket. And so with that being said, let me go ahead and talk about all the games that we will be at this weekend. And, you know, feel free to come out, whether you're a high schooler, parent, you know, a fellow middle school player that is listening to this. Feel free to come out and support these kids, man. There's a lot of talent on all of these teams, you know, and uh, we expect a good crowd over there. And and so, without further ado, let me go ahead and start from the top here. Okay, so the first game that we will be at is uh, DJ Spartans, the Aurora Spartans, going head-to-head with Warriors Scarlet. That will be the first game that we'll be at. Uh, I, Simon, will actually be at that game, 1.30 over at Heritage. Uh, at 2.30, I believe Mason will be at the Thunder Gray versus Raptors Green game over at Euclid Middle School. That starts at 2.30. I will eventually get to that game, so I'll be at DJ's game, and then I'll drive over and then see Chase Pruitt, Young CMC, and the squad face off with the Raptors Green. And by the way, uh, DJ and Chase are in different brackets here, just so y'all know. And then after that, uh, eventually, I will probably make it back for Warriors Black versus Raptors White. They are the other side of Chase's bracket. They will be playing at Heritage at 3.30. And so, out of these two brackets, um, the only games that Mason and I... Well, the only game that Mason and I won't be going to out of these two brackets is Raptors Black versus... uh, I'm pretty sure this is Spartans or SJ Gray. Yep. Over at Euclid Middle School, they play at 12.30. And so that's the other side of DJ's uh, bracket there. And then Chase, like I said, is Thundergrave versus Raptors Green. And then whoever wins that game plays the winner of Warrior Black versus Raptors White. And so that's that bracket. Uh, Mason and I will hope to make to three of those four games there. Now the top tier of this bracket... Uh, I don't know if Mason will be there, but I will for sure be there at 5.30 over at Heritage. You have Brady, Vodka, and Noah Moss's Bruins Blue. They'll be facing off with the Warriors White. Pretty sure that's the squad that DJ just played. And so that should be a really fun game there. Uh, I will be there, and then Cody Stoffer actually will make a little appearance near the end of that game. Cody, he hasn't been able to make it to as many middle school games because of work, but he should be able to make an appearance there. And then at 7.30, the last game will be at uh, Saturday night. We'll be at 7.30 at Heritage High School. We have Riken Banks uh, and Hawks Orange versus the Raptors Silver Team featuring T.I., Kobe Dooley, uh, Mari Kyle, all of them boys, Jaden Wren over there, the Springs boys, facing off with Riken Banks' uh, Parker Hawks. And so that should be a real good game. Uh, so we'll be at pretty much all the games on that top tier as well. And then the only playoff game that we won't be at, the only uh, middle school playoff game we won't be at, will be in one of the lower tiers, and that is that Raptors Black versus SJ Gray 
game. Other than that, we'll be at all of the AYL playoff games on Saturday. Feel free to come and say hi. Support some of these players. There are very good players uh, that will be the future of Colorado football probably sooner than later. But uh, other than that, this is Simon Villanos, and uh, I'll see you later. Thank you, Simon. And we are going to take a quick break and then jump into high school football. Coming up. And welcome back, listeners, to the high school segment of this edition of Playmakers Corner. And so I'm going to actually start off with 1A football. There wasn't a whole lot going on on Thursday. However, I will talk about Friday. There were some very close games on this night. And it started off with Buena Vista versus Florence. And this game was the decider for their league. Both these teams came into this game undefeated and, you know, both have very strong and fast defenses along with a multitude of playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. But, you know, I think that special teams had a lot to do with this game and I'll explain why. But overall, Florence actually loses their first game of the season to Buena Vista and you know, I think partially it's because Levi Paxton struggled very much against this Buena Vista defense that was constantly in his face, forced him to take multiple tackles for loss, multiple sacks. And, you know, he, he just struggled overall this game and made some mistakes that kind of put Florence in a tough spot in this game. And even though Florence started the scoring uh, with Jacob Kennedy, who continues to be one of the best playmakers on this 1A level, it was quickly responded by Buena Vista. And after that, it kind of never let up because, okay, first off, Buena Vista's special teams unit might be the very best in 1A football. I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but football is a game in three phases is the way I always look at it. And if you can win special teams, that means that you only have to win one more phase of the game and you should come out victorious. And Buena Vista has been a great example of that, hitting all the field goals that they need to throughout this entire season. And in this game, you know, Florence, they, they step up, they score first and immediately get deflated, absolutely deflated by Buena Vista taking a kickoff return back to the house. They have been doing this all year, taking kickoff returns back to the house, getting good field position on kick and punt returns, you know, hitting field goals. This is, you know, all of these things added up to their win here over Florence and another thing too is this Buena Vista defense was just playing really well I think against this Florence team they held Florence to an average gain of 2.3 yards per carry and mainly because they were able to get to Levi Paxton so much and you know they just they forced Levi to have a really horrible game he had a pass rating of 22.5 and the only touchdown thrown of this game was actually Jacob Kennedy who also ran for Florence's other touchdown. And, you know, he just, they need to figure something out under center heading into playoffs because I don't even think the Buena Vista defense is the best one in 1A. And it's only going to get harder for this Florence team that struggled mightily against this defense. They have, they have to be balanced in order to win this game, in order to win this level of football. And, it starts with the quarterback, honestly, more than anything. 
their defense, they still had a pitched a pretty good defensive game. You know, they had six tackles for loss over on the Florence side. They didn't get any sacks on Hayden Camp. You know, he's quite the elusive runner, I'd say. And they didn't force any interceptions out of him because Hayden Camp is just that guy. But, you know, there's going to be tons of great athletes that you face on the 1A level. You know, you might run into a Wiggins with Cole Kerr, who's also a dominant quarterback. And, you know, Trey Hines is doing pretty okay out there. And Lyman, you also have one of the Sprague brothers. I believe it's Wyatt Sprague at quarterback for Holyoke. So, you know, you have to get used to that kind of level of competition. You have to get used to seeing those looks and those evasive quarterbacks and those guys that can deliver dots as well. So, you know, the only turnover that Florence forced this entire game was, uh, well, Josiah Cornwell caused two fumbles and Aguilar was able to pick up one of them. But I think that they just need a little bit more out of their defense and a lot more out of their offense. This game was definitely winnable and they didn't play their best game ever. It was only decided by the two field goals, like I said, where Buena Vista has been able to hit field goals all year at a pretty efficient clip. But, you know, nothing to hang your head about, but definitely a game that you walk away and you're like, ah, oh, like, we were right there. We could have won that game and we could have won our league. But now... You know, I don't think they can win that. I think Buena Vista has secured their league spot and maybe the two or three seed on this 1A football level. Jumping out east for our second game was Yuma versus Ray. And this game was a wild game and kind of a really sloppy game. You know, there is a lot of, well, on the positive side, there's a lot of tough coverage. But on the flip side, there was a lot of missed throws and fumbles and interceptions and just seemed like a real pain in the neck it was probably a really cold night out there and you know it's it came out to a 13 to 7 score favoring ray who you know has only lost one game on the season and is one of the best teams in 1a football and you know that came out of a solid enough performance from rookie quarterback casey midcap who threw and ran for both of ray's touchdowns he did have turnovers but it wasn't enough as yuma just could not capitalize i i was looking through this game and i don't believe that you hear trejo played this game and i think that that shows a lot in the box score and just overall in the rushing totals of this yuma team that you know usually has a decent kind of read option one two punch between you and clay robinson one of the better running quarterbacks if not the best running quarterback in the state of colorado and you know, you could tell that it bottled him up and it made him really inefficient on the throwing end of things. And yeah, it was just really rough. Clay Robinson went one for 11 against this Ray defense who, you know, has continued to give lots of great players fits. And he was held to only 103 yards on the day rushing, which is not what he usually rushes. He's usually crazy in the running game. And I think part of that comes from you hear Trejo and they just couldn't get anything really going. And Yuma's in a really tough spot with Holyoke coming up next. And, you know, they're staring at a sub-500 record if they lose to this Holyoke team and maybe being on the outside looking in in this very tough league. So, you know, I hope that Yahir is healthy and, you know, Yuma needs him for this last game against Holyoke. But yeah, like I said, Ray pulls out the win 13-7 against Yuma. Speaking of Holyoke, though, on Saturday, it was Holyoke versus Lyman. We did have that interview with Miles Sprague. If you haven't listened to that, go ahead and find it. It's just called the Miles Sprague interview. 
it's just him and you know he's he's a pretty stand-up guy stand-up player very optimistic he wanted a piece of Lyman this year and I know that all of Holyoke did but they are going to have to wait into the playoffs to try and get a second shot at them I'm not sure what went wrong for Holyoke but I know that the same things that have gone right for Lyman all season continue to go right on this Saturday morning against Holyoke and Lyman comes out and wins this football game 40-14. It wasn't exactly close, and that's thanks to, you know, it's the same story every week, same same stuff, different day. You have Jeremiah Leeper and Gabe Schubarth. They combined for 250 yards and three rushing scores. And then you also had senior linebacker Brady Rockwell, who had 11 tackles against this Holyoke team. And I guess he was probably one of their better counters to just the athletes they have on that Holyoke side of the football. Holyoke just could not get a rhythm going on offense. And this game just got out of hand with the Lyman defense continuing to punish opposing teams with a run game and a one-two punch that is amongst one of the best, if not the best, in the entire state of Colorado. Also on Saturday, I think one of the more important games here is you had Platt Canyon versus Bennett High School. Both these teams were looking to win their league here. Well, not win their league, but put themselves in positions to win their league. And Platt Canyon ultimately comes out on top 18 to 14. That puts them in a great spot. They have Manuel coming up. They are currently, Manuel is three and one in league. Black Canyon is 4-0 in league. And if they win against Manuel, they will win their league. They are currently 5-3. And, and that was thanks to a couple of strong performances this game. You had junior quarterback David Fouts play a solid game, going 6-for-9 for 99 yards and a passing score. And then on the defensive side of the ball, he also got it done with an interception and a pass breakup as well. These were critical in a game that ended, you know, with with such a close score i mean shoot Platt canyon was up 12 nothing at halftime and then bennett gets a massive eight points you know on that very first in that third quarter and it came down to the fourth quarter where both teams scored six apiece and Platt canyon had the last laugh winning that 18 to 14 so every possession counted in this game and you know forcing turnovers like david fouts did is massive but I really think that the running game here for Platte Canyon is what to talk about. You know, they had three ball carriers with over 40 yards, including Jacob Romero and Sam Peters, uh, Patterson, who both had rushing scores. And then Alan Hardy, who puts in a very strong case for player of the week. He led the team with 84 rushing yards, but also had three receptions for 56 yards and a score. And his defensive performance was massive in this game. He had six tackles, including a tie for the team lead and tackles for loss with two. The other guy getting the tackles for loss being Ben Hatz, number 60, who had 13 total tackles and two for loss. So, you know, they had a lot of great performances out of some good players this game and a very close game against Bennett. And if they are to win league, they need these same guys and a few more to step up. I'm looking at David Fouts to maybe get it done a bit more on the ground and with his legs maybe doing some improvisation anytime he doesn't see an open receiver converting these incompletions into you know five yard rushing gains and you know I'm looking for alan hardy to get that yards per carry up he had 22 carries on that 84 yards so you know he might have been tired from playing defense as well but he could do a little bit more i think on the offensive side of the ball and 
But like I said, they had some great performances this game and they get a great win over a solid Bennett team. With all that being said, I am going to pass it back to one of my co-hosts, Simon Villanos, who was at the Banning Lewis Academy versus Peyton game, which decided who went to playoffs in their league. Alright, what's good, y'all? Welcome back. It's your boy Simon Villanos, aka Coach V. I was able to make it out to the Banning Lewis versus Peyton football game last Saturday. This was basically the Santa Fe League Championship. Uh, whoever won this game would not only win their league, but they're probably going to go to state. And, um, you know, both of these teams are kind of on the lower end as far as RPI goes. And so really, you know, the only guarantee that one of these teams from the Santa Fe League goes to state is by beating each other and by being the league champs. And so whoever won this one goes to state. Simple as that. But let me go ahead and start talking about this game. At, in the first quarter, at the 8 minute 40 second mark, Caden Levi for Banning Lewis Academy. By the way, Caden Levi is a senior. He completes a beautiful slant route for a touchdown on the opening drive. And by the way, it was fourth down as well. You know, this Banning Lewis uh, Academy coaching staff put together a really nice opening drive, not going to lie, and set this one up. Caden Levi, he gets the easy touchdown there to go ahead and put up BLA 7-0. Over Payton. Now, at the 7 minute 37 second mark, Payton is driving, but they find themselves in a fourth down situation. And so what do they do? They go ahead and call a fake punt pass. And they convert on fourth down, keep the drive alive just a little bit longer. Then at the 6 minute 18 second mark, number 35, Graham for Payton, has a real nice 35-yard rush, getting Payton into the red zone and giving them an opportunity to potentially score here. Then around the 4 minute 39 second mark, number 27 for Payton. Well, okay, he scores a rushing touchdown, but unfortunately, they call a holding play. They call the play back, and then they, uh, Payton would go for it on fourth down, but they wouldn't get it. It's a turnover on downs. Then in the second quarter, Payton would eventually get the ball back and start driving. Then at the 5 minute 21 second mark, Payton gets a huge splash play from number 27. He catches a 70 yard receiving touchdown, catching the defense off guard. The defense was out of position, so he was wide open for pretty much almost all 70 yards of that play. Unfortunately, Payton goes for it um, for the two point conversion, that is, and they fail, but it's still 7 to 6 Payton. Now, right after that, Payton would kick off, but force a fumble and recover the fumble in the red zone, uh, putting them in a really good position to take the lead anyways. And so, you know, the tide's already turning here after a couple plays. And then to cap it off at the 4 minute 33 second mark, Payton's West Hart scores a rushing touchdown, uh, making it 12 to 7 Payton. I don't know if Payton just doesn't kick field goals or PATs or not, because they went for it. Like, they went for the two-point conversion pretty much every touchdown or after every touchdown this game. And so, it's 12-7 to Payton right now. But Payton, they're here to win. And so, they do eventually get the ball back. And then, at the 1 minute 36 second mark, they get a huge 20-yard touchdown run by Payton's Howard. Uh, bail the two-point conversion once again, but it's 18-7 to 
Peyton at this point. Now, around the 1 minute 7 second mark, Peyton would get a huge sack by number 6 on second down, setting up a third and long. Uh, BLA, they would eventually punt it, and then Peyton's driving one more time, and they got a pro promising drive going this time. But luckily enough, <laughs> number 12 for Banning Lewis Academy does intercept a pass to basically end the half and stop a dangerous Payton drive. Now, Payton, they've been, I mean, they were swinging in the second quarter for sure. They're definitely swinging, trying to, you know, trying to, trying to get Banning Lewis to tap out a little bit here. It is 18-7 at halftime, so not that bad. Really, When you really look at it, it's only an 11-point lead. You need two touchdowns to take back the lead, and so really not that bad going into the second half of this game for Banning Lewis Academy. Now, before I go on and finish uh, this segment here, just wanted to say that Banning Lewis, they are a second-year program, started during COVID, which is really tough. They have not made the playoffs yet in their history, so if they won this game, not only would they be the first-time league champs, but they will also be going to the playoffs for the first time ever. Payton, on the other hand, hasn't made the playoffs since 2018, and so it's been a little bit here, but... Just wanted to throw that out before I finish up this game, but let's go ahead and jump into this third quarter here. And so in the third quarter, with 9 minutes 47 seconds left, uh, Banning Lewis, they force a very key 3 and out on Payton's opening drive, kind of stemming some of that momentum there. But unfortunately, Banning Lewis, their offense just struggled to get going. And so Payton would get the ball back. And then at the 7 minute 30 second mark, Payton's number 27 would have a huge 40-yard rush. Uh, I believe that is Wes Hart. But I want to say later in the drive, Payton eventually scores a rushing touchdown, but it's called back because of a holding call, and that eventually just kills the drive in, gen in general, and Payton does not score there. Now, um, Banning Lewis, they get the ball back, and they're driving here. Uh, their quarterback, Levi, he's completing a couple passes, and he has this offense moving, getting some momentum going for the first time in a while this game. And that would actually eventually lead to a huge 30-yard rushing touchdown by Banning Lewis Academy, making it 18-13. to uh, I believe they missed the extra point on that kick. Now, Payton, they want to respond right back at the 1 minute 40 second mark in the third quarter. They get a huge 80-yard touchdown run by Wes Hart, making it 24-13, to Payton. You know, Payton, they're looking to put this one away here early on. Then with about 52 seconds left in the third quarter, there would be a fumble on a pitch, uh, Banning Lewis. Uh, basically fumbling the ball on a pitch, resulting in Payton's ball. Now, I saw the play. It wasn't like he got hit or anything. The guy who was supposed to catch the pitch, he just basically drops it in front of him, and, you know, Payton would recover it. Now, going into the fourth quarter, you know, Banning Lewis does get a huge goal line stand with about, you know, 8 minutes, 14 seconds left, and stop the fourth down run for a would-be touchdown, and they get the ball back. Now, you know, Banning Lewis, they're driving, they're driving. Then around the 5 minute, 5 second mark, and this is just my honest opinion, but there's a really bad intentional grounding call that kind of puts, you know, Banning Lewis in a tough spot on third down, and then they would go for it on fourth, but 
it would eventually be a turnovers on down. In my opinion, uh, the quarterback, he was out of the pocket. He threw the ball away towards the sideline. It crossed, you know, the line of scrimmage. But they called it intentional grounding in. You know, that was a really, really bad call by the refs, in my opinion. And that really affected this game because that basically killed that Banning Lewis drive. Uh, and, you know, Payton, they get the ball back with about five minutes left, run out the clock, and they're going to the playoffs. They win a kind of a close one here. They win 24-13. to Payton, going back to the playoffs for the first time since 2018. They are also the Santa Fe League champs now. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to discredit Payton. Payton played a great game. You know, West Hart, he had an excellent game. You know, they had a lot of big runs, a lot of big plays on offense. You know, I like their play calling. But that intentional grounding call just doesn't sit well with me. That definitely would have affected, uh, I want to say, the outcome of this game. Because if Banning Lewis scored there, then it's a one-score game one more time. They have enough time to get the ball back. Um, but... You know, it just didn't end that way. And so, Payton, like I said, will be going back to the playoffs. Banning Lewis, uh, only in their second year, they have a pretty solid season right now. They're only 4-3. and three. You know, they'll be playing Trinidad on Friday. Probably won't count, though. And so, you know, they'll probably end the season 5-3. and three. They're in a pretty solid spot. Uh, fortunately, they just couldn't get it done this year and tonight. Just came up a couple plays, um, you know, just a couple plays short. And so you really can't be mad at that if you're banning Lewis and you're only in your second year. So there you go. But once again, congrats to Peyton. They're going back to the playoffs. They sure are. And thank you for that coverage, Simon. I'm really glad you were able to make it out to that game. And that will actually do it for our 1A segment. Coming up next, I will talk through 2A, but not until... Simon introduces us with the Eaton versus Severance game that was a major league game, and it might not have gone the way you expect. Or maybe it did, depending on how much attention you've been paying. Coming up. What's good, y'all? Welcome back. It's your boy, Simon Villanos, a.k.a. Coach V. I'm here to talk about the Eden versus Severance game. I was able to make the trip up to Eden on October 21st. Uh, it was senior night for Eden, by the way. This was a huge matchup. I think leading up to this point, Severance only had one loss on the season. Uh, they lost to Resurrection Christian, I believe. And then Eden is coming off of a huge dub last week against University. This game basically would seal, would potentially seal Eden as the one seed in the playoffs moving forward over a very quality Severance team. This is a team that has an excellent defense, um, probably number two in the state next to Eden, at least on the two-way level. But let's go ahead and hop into it. So in the first quarter, you know, uh, both teams, they their defense stood up pretty stout, not going to lie. Both defenses played pretty well. And, you know, the only, well, one of the only notes I really have here in the first quarter at the 3 minute 38 second mark, Grable, he gets a key pass deflection on third down, forcing a three and out. At this point, it is 0-0. 
Eden then gets the ball back um, after a couple, you know, Ethan Flores runs. Uh, it sets them up on the goal line. Now, on the goal line, and this is still the first quarter, by the way, but on the goal line, they call all runs, just trying to punch it in. Uh, but on fourth down, they decide to go for it. Ryder True would, would just barely get the ball in there for Eden, and they would go ahead and score a touchdown and get the PAT, making it 7-0 Eden with... About 40 seconds left in the first quarter. Now, going into the second quarter, you know, at the 5 minute 26 second mark, sevens, they're driving. On fourth down, though, they go ahead and call a fake punt and they convert. That ends up being pretty big. But around the 4 minute 18 second mark, number 72 on Eden gets a huge sack on third, but. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, uh, roughing the passer call gives Severance the first down. Now, Severance, they're basically in the red zone. They're driving. They're trying to score here. But at the 2 minute 55 second mark, Eden gets a huge goal line stand. Severance goes for it on fourth down, just like Eden went for it on fourth down. But the difference is that Eden actually stopped Severance. They played great Discipline defense, there's nowhere to go with the ball. You know, it wasn't necessarily a bad play called by Severance. Eden just played really good defense, as they do. One of the key stops in this goal line stand was when Severance, they threw the slant route, and he gets tackled short on third down, setting up fourth down, which obviously they do not get. Now, Eden gets the ball back, and you know, Eden, they want to get some more points here before half ends, and so Ryan Dirksen, he actually breaks loose, rumbling for a 75-yard run, setting up Eden on the goal line. Now, he almost scored here, but he was tripped up just short, you know, but he was rumbling, he broke a couple tackles, fantastic blocking by the Eden offensive line to give him that initial hole, and then he was off to the races. Like I said, Eden was trying to get one more score before half to kind of get that, you know, cushion and get that momentum moving forward. And so after that huge run by Ryan Dirksen, Ethan Flores eventually punches it in for Eden, getting his first rushing touchdown of the night. Eden would then complete the PAT, making it 14-0, seemingly going into half. Now, you know, basically there really wasn't too much to worry about, but Eden would kick it off to Severance. And Severance would get a very good return. If it wasn't for Eden's kicker, you know, it, the, it was definitely going to be a return touchdown. Not going to lie. It was definitely going to be a return touchdown. But, you know, there was a block in the back call. Regardless, though, Eden's kicker still tackled him around the 50-yard line. And so... Kills that momentum before it became anything big. Eden's defense stands up tall and doesn't allow anything. So they lead 14-0 going into half. Now, the things I kind of took away, Eden's defense, you know, they're playing phenomenal, playing disciplined. Um, they had a great goal line stand, and so they're doing their thing. Offense, you know, they got to keep going. They got to play a clean game, and they got to keep converting on those third down opportunities, setting up easy third and short opportunities. That's what they needed to do. That's at least what I wrote down here. Sevens, on the other hand, you know, can't necessarily be mad at their defense, but their quarterback, uh, Nolan Hertzke, he just needs to settle down, you know. Uh, going into, well, really, you know, this whole game, he was just very erratic with his throws, very inaccurate, hit or miss a lot of the time, you know. I There were some throws that, you know, the receiver was wide open, and he missed it. 
And there are other throws where the receiver was definitely, you know, covered just a little bit, though, and he would complete it. And so, in my opinion, he just needed to calm down. If he calmed down, then sevens, they wouldn't be finding themselves in a lot of third and long opportunities. You know, more completed passes means more yards, better situations for the quarterback and for the offense. And so I felt like he really was key to that for sevens. But anyways, going into the third quarter, Eden starts the half by going tempo, you know, uh, quickly. You know, they're trying to go quick. They're trying to call all these plays quickly. They're not, there's not a lot of time. They want to keep Severance on their toes. And so they get it going. They're calling a lot of run plays with Flores, with Ryder True, with uh, Dirksen, I'm pretty sure. I believe they actually get a pass out to Ryder True as well, showing they got a little bit of a passing game. And Eden's going, you know. They're trying to go quickly here, trying to catch Severance off guard so they could get that 21-0 lead. And then they finally get into the red zone, and they call an excellent like just excellent play action play if you're sevens you probably could have i mean i don't know you probably could have guessed this play was coming sooner than later but it was on fourth down eden was in the red zone like i said and that's when walker martin on a play action pass finds his boy zach grable for a 25 yard passing touchdown um set up beautifully by the way by a bunch of different runs they eventually get the pat as well Putting up Eden 21-0, to zero, and it was a huge, huge swing in this game. I think leading up, Sevens kind of felt like they are still in it. Now this play right here kind of put, it was kind of the haymaker here for Eden. You know, they wanted to get Severance early on. They wanted to get on the board, make it a three-score game as quickly as possible, and they do it. Now, although it was the haymaker, there's still about 8 minutes, 57 seconds left in the third quarter when this all went down. And so Severn still has plenty of time. And you know what? At the 8 minute, 40 second mark, their quarterback, Nolan Hertzke, has an excellent 40-yard scramble. They get Severn set up on the other side of the field. Soon they get into the red zone. But once again, at the 5 minute, 51 second mark, Eden gets a huge red zone stop on fourth down as they put a stranglehold on sevens as they start to put a stranglehold on severance now part of that kind of came down to a costly blindside block you know this would have been a touchdown i'm pretty sure for severance but it gets called back eden's defense stands tall and they stop them now sevens they're trying to stop eden here and they're in an opportunity to you know make them go three and out around the five a minute nine second mark but Eden calls a fake punt on fourth, and they go ahead and convert it. Now we're going into the fourth quarter. You know, Eden, uh, they're driving and whatnot. This current drive started in the third quarter, uh, including that fourth uh, down conversion, and it ends at the 10-minute 56-second mark with a 10-yard run by Ethan Flores rushing in for the touchdown, making it, um, well, basically making it 28-0 Eden. Um, and this game's pretty much done right here, but Sevens, they get another chance, but it comes down to the goal line one more time, and Eden gets another fourth down goal line stand and just stuffs the quarterback at the line, 
led by Ryan Dirksen, by the way. And Eden gets the ball back um, basically on the two or three yard line with seven minutes and 50 seconds left to go. Now, here's what happens. Eden, they just start draining this clock. Ethan Flores, he gets a whole bunch of runs. Once they get to the 50, they give Ryan Dirksen a whole bunch of runs. He gets a whole bu- he gets um, the ball a ton, and then they I'm pretty sure they put in either their sophomore or junior like backup running back, and he kills a lot more clock. When all is said and done, there is 11 seconds left on the clock. Eden, you know, they get stopped. They kick a field goal on fourth. They make it 31-0. to That's basically how the game ends. Eden has um, basically a 90-plus yard drive, taking up almost eight minutes of game clock in the fourth quarter, which is absolutely wild. And they put away Severance 31-0, to completely shutting them out. This defense played really well. They had like three red zone stops, two of those being a goal line stop on fourth down, by the way. And that eventually mattered, you know. And I loved how Severance was trying to be aggressive and go for it for fourth. I think if you're going to beat an Eden, you got to take some of those risks. You know, because even if you complete uh, one or two of those fourth down conversions, it's a little bit of a backbreaker and you keep eating on their toes there. But unfortunately, Severance, they missed a lot of opportunities in the red zone. Eden's defense, they proved that they're still the best defense in the state. And, you know, they won 31-0, still undefeated and will probably still be undefeated going into the last game of the season. Uh, Really, what I got from this is that Eden, man, they look really good. You know, defensively, they stood real tall. They were there when you needed them. And so you love to see that offensively. You know you can rely on Ethan Flores, but you have other guys there as well. Ryan Dirksen. You got Walker Martin as well, who can who can pass the ball. You know, Eden can pass the ball pretty well if they wanted to. But, you know, once they get that lead, it's like a stranglehold, basically. They're going to just run the ball. They're going to play physical. They're going to wear you down. And that's just what they do. That's the Eden way. And now Eden, they're going into the playoffs here pretty soon. I don't have any reason to not believe that they're going to win state. In my opinion, one of the only teams standing their, their way is TCA. You know, obviously you got University in there as well, Res. But I think TCA might be the last team that could pose a threat. Because in my opinion, to beat Eden, you have to have a solid passing game. I think TCA has that potential. I'll be going to the TCA Manitou Springs game this week to kind of see, you know, where they're at. But I think TCA, they have that potential along with their star running back, Cade Palmer. It might be inevitable at this point, but in my opinion, I know Eden will probably go to state, assuming they stay healthy. I'm going to go ahead and knock on wood there. Assuming they stay healthy, they go ahead and go to state. It's just a matter of who's going to meet them there. So we'll see. Thank you, Simon, for that Eaton versus Severance recap. That game definitely sounds significantly closer than the score indicates. You know, it's one of those things where it just boils down to a few plays. But Eaton still looking dominant on that 2A level. And continuing off of this 2A trend, I'm going to talk about some major matchups that happened on Friday and also some statement games that happened on Friday. I think that one of the biggest statements made on Friday was made by my guys out there at Bayfield High School who have won their sixth straight, including this 56-18 massacre of Montezuma Cortez. The only team they've lost to thus far is an out-of-state Utah team. And, you know, that's thanks to a handful of athletes and a handful of good plays on this 
on this Bayfield team. And I think in this game in particular, it was senior quarterback Isaac Ross who played phenomenal, going 28 of 40 for 317 yards and five touchdowns while also getting an interception on the defensive side of the ball. And I'm going to talk about some of the benefactors of Ross's great game. And that obviously happens at the receiver position. I'm not sure on the distribution of touchdowns here, though, because you have James Mars, who caught four touchdowns on four receptions. So imagine catching a touchdown 100% of the time in a game. And Will Sullivan, who caught two scores. Now, you might be thinking, what the heck? I thought Isaac only threw five. Yeah, that's right, because Deegan Barnes, junior running back, through the sixth touchdown and you know he also ran for one and got an interception while leading the team in receptions with 11 and over a hundred yards i think that this is just a great display by bayfield who is definitely on track to win this 2a southwestern conference and i'm really glad that you know them and alamosa both turned up with the amount of returning players that they had from last year and just a lot of great athletes on both these teams who are slated to make the playoffs and hopefully Bayfield can make some noise you know they've been on a roll like I said they've won their last six in a row and they just have athletes at every position and multiple ways to beat you I'd say you know whether that be defensively or you know offensively there's just a variety of players that can step up and make big plays on this team and their coaches I think do a good job of playing a pretty diverse playbook here you know where you have running backs throwing the ball you have isaac ross who throws it 40 times a game but you're also able to run the ball quite a bit and pretty effectively so kudos out to bayfield for their huge statement game and they are putting everyone i think or everyone on the 2a level should be on the lookout for this bayfield team that shouldn't be written off speaking of teams who might have gotten written off resurrection christian had a statement game of their own you know their only loss this season was to eaton it was a very close game as eaton has survived a lot of these close games but you know they i think they were pretty pissed off from that loss even though it was a little bit ago and they slaughtered the academy 43 to 13 and they are grinding towards that rematch with eaton in the playoffs and they had over 450 yards of total offense and 10 yards per carry on the ground. Resurrection Christian just dominated in every facet of this game and will continue to dominate down this stretch here and move into the playoffs. Meanwhile, Academy, they have been trending so horrendously down. They are not in a good spot right now. After starting out 4-0, they have lost three of their last four and have dropped to number 16 in RPI. And for those who don't know, only 16 teams in that 1A level, or yeah, 2A level even, will make the playoffs. So, that's something to keep an eye on, and they have a must-win against Severance, who's probably pretty upset about how that last game gets eaten win. So, things are not looking on the up and up for the Academy. Teams who are on the up and up will be Northfield here they went to Granby, Colorado to face off against Middle Park. And this was a wild matchup. You know, in the first half of this game, it was 7-3. to three, And in that amount of time, there was two 30-plus yard, you know, kickoff and punt returns and two fumbles, a blocked field goal. And it only got crazier from there, you know. And in this game, Middle Park really couldn't get going on offense until a 45-yard touchdown run 
you know, kind of sprung life back into him. And, you know, that that was in the third quarter. And then they sputtered a lot more until six minutes to go where they punched in for a one-yard score and converted a two-point conversion to make it a three-point game. They were down 18-21 to 21 with six minutes left in this football game. And then following that, they recovered a fumble from Northfield. And following that, they fumbled it again with four minutes left. And, you know, it was on the 14-yard line, Northfield's 14-yard line, their own. And Middle Park's defense really turned up here. I think that Northfield's offense was trying to do a little bit too much. And, you know, were a little rattled by the situation. And they almost put Middle Park in a position to win this football game. Because the defense for Middle Park forced a safety with just under two minutes to go to make this a 20-21 to 21 game. However... This was not meant to be Middle Park's game. Everything went well. You know, that you had a touchdown, a two-point conversion, a safety, brought it within one. They got the ball back. They're ready to drive down the field. However, Cameron Joyce Fairley, who started the game with a kickoff return that brought it on, you know, that brought Northfield within scoring position to start off this game and help them score a touchdown on their opening drive by returning a kick within the 40-yard line of Middle Park. He ends the game with an interception under two minutes left and helps Northfield move to 5-3 and 3-0 and and against League with the League Championship, I believe, against DeEvelyn coming up next. This, like I said, so many turnovers this game, really back and forth. You have a safety, a touchdown, and two-point conversion, lots of kickoff returns on special teams. And, you know, ultimately, it was basically who was able to force a turnover last and Cameron Joyce Fairley. He's a very, a fairly solid athlete, pun intended. And, you know, he he helped this team at the beginning of the game and he helped this team secure the win at the end of the game. Like I said, Northfield pulls this one out over Middle Park 21 to 20, a very close win and a very much needed win for this Northfield team. Speaking of needed wins, Jumping over to Basalt versus Rifle. This was a very, you know, I kind of writ, wrote off Rifle. I'm not even going to lie a little bit ago. But Rifle had not written themselves off. And they forced overtime against one of the top 10 teams in 2A, according to Chass RPI, against Basalt. And, you know, Rifle, they they clawed and fight and scrapped in this game. You know, Basalt was up 21-7. to and heading into the fourth quarter and rifle fought all the way back to tie it up and force overtime in this game. And I think part of that reason obviously comes from rifles. Defense was very stout. They were giving Cade Schneider some headaches this game, who is usually one of the more dominant quarterbacks on this two A level, but they were giving him fits and, you know, it, they even started off the scoring in overtime against Basalt, you know, they jumped out to their first lead of the day, leading 28 to 21 in overtime. And that is when Basalt's dual backs became too much for Rifle. They they just gritted their teeth and pounded it on the run game. And, you know, they, they just battered this Rifle defense and in all the way into the end zone. And then down 27 to 28, they decided to go for two. And Cooper Crawford finds the end zone for a walk-off 
two-point conversion as Rifle wins this one in overtime. 29, or Basalt wins this one in overtime, my bad. 29 to 28, and Basalt moves to six and two. What a close and exciting game. You know, I really wish I could have made it out to this one, but I will talk about the game that I went to that was also exciting on this Friday night. Stay tuned for the 3A segment. Continuing on this 2A segment, though, you know, there was one other game of no, I'd say, this weekend, and that was Delta versus Moffat County. This was probably for the league championship. Moffat County was previously undefeated, and Delta had one loss on the season. And both these teams are very solid. They have very good offenses who have big playability. But that was not always the case throughout this game, you know. And Moffat County got off to a very slow start here. Delta opened up the scoring. You know, Damian uh, Gallegos, I want to say, he got things going with... He had the longest play of this entire football game with a 50-yard receiving touchdown you know, that put Delta ahead and it was a lead that they'd hold for most of the game up until the fourth quarter. You know, Moffat County was down 10 to nothing in the fourth quarter and, you know, they got two touchdowns in the fourth, you know, when Evan Atkin got them on the board, you know, he's one of the best playmakers in this entire state and he continues to get the job done for Moffat County. He had over 70 yards receiving and 70 yards rushing as well, and also had an interception on the defensive side of the ball. So, you know, that was massive for this team. And, you know, then with th only three minutes to go, Ryan Peck found fellow senior Logan Hafey or Haffey to take a 14 to 10 lead. Moffat County was rocking. Their sideline was excited. And, you know, in based off of what I've seen from this Moffat County team, I thought that this was the ball game, you know, 14 to 10. They're right where they want to be, play some good defense and force a turnover. But Delta had other plans in mind. And Timothy Horn, who has been putting work, you know, had been putting work all game, lots of carries, grinded out yards. He scored the most important of his eight touchdowns this season to pull Delta back ahead with a minute left and re-secure a dub. Delta leaves this game 17 to 14 and Moffat County has got to be kicking themselves in the butt right here. They just, I think that they left a lot of points on the board and a lot of opportunities on the field and just couldn't quite get things done. Obviously allowing that really big play at the beginning of the game is going to kill you. And I think that that kind of deflated them for a long time and kudos to the coaching staff and to the players for gritting their teeth and scoring these 14 unanswered points in the fourth quarter, but it just was not enough as Delta outlasted them at home to win 17-14 and puts themselves in a very great spot to win league. So I'm looking through here. I don't think I have any other 2A football games, but I'm going to jump just straight into 3A football here. There is some really good matches in one of the leagues where you had Holy Family versus Mead, and then you also had Frederick versus Thompson Valley. All of these teams are scraping and fighting and clawing to win this league, well, other than Thompson Valley. But, you know, there was some pretty solid games here, and I'm going to start with Thompson Valley versus Frederick. 
And, you know, Thompson Valley, they've, they've kind of struggled this year. And Frederick has had one of the best rushing attacks in all of Colorado football. And that trend continued on this Friday night as Thompson Valley's defense was helpless against a, you know, rushing attack that has left opponents stunned all year. And it checked out as Cruz, Zamudio, and Parker Ayers combined for over 300 yards. And the backfield as a whole averaged over seven yards per carry on 47 attempts. It, you know, Bryce Connor, the quarterback for Frederick here, did not have to do much. But this quarterback, you know, he, he was able to get it done and, you know, found LaFay Purcell for two touchdown receptions on only seven of Bryce Connor's attempts. And I just don't think that this 28-14 to 14 final score reflects just how good this Frederick team is, in my opinion. I think that they are very strong and they have more balance than the 47 rushing attempts implies. And they have a really huge game against Meade next week. And Meade, they might be in a very tough spot. You know, they barely beat Holy Family here, 35-32, to 32, by, you know, only a field goal. Holy Family was gritting their teeth and hanging in there. You know, Ryland Cooley, he found Tyler Stevens to pull it within three with a 56-yard touchdown bomb at the end. And so, you know, right there at the end, you know, Holy Family was completing deep passes. They were getting good runs in that fourth quarter out of uh, Jacob Lover, you know, who had two rushing scores and six tackles on defense along with a handful of receptions. You know, they had a handful of playmakers, but I think the big story here is Gavin Garrettson appeared to have left the game. I'm not sure what exactly, if he's injured or if it was just a lack of passing attempts maybe, or I'm not really sure what it was, but they need to figure that out because they won, but the, losing Gavin Garrettson right before A, the Frederick game, and B, right before playoffs could be tragic news. Now, I'm not saying Meade isn't capable. They had some other great players, you know, it, it's pretty easy when Evan Morris racks up 31 carries for 172 yards and three scores. But, you know, Meade kept Holy Family in this ball game. They lost three fumbles this game. And like I said, I don't know what Gavin Garrettson's health status is. And you want all of your chips ready to go for, A, this Frederick game that will determine who wins the league as both of these teams are 6-1. and one. And it's also going to determine... You know who gets a higher seed in the playoffs that mead could use a higher seed and hopefully get some rest for some of these players if they get into huge leads so but yeah that was what was going down in that 3a north central two league meanwhile we also had two games to talk about in the 3a north central three league where you had a matchup between niwat and mountain view you know, Niwot's still trying to stay relevant and maybe sneak into that 16th seed if it's even possible. And, you know, they get a close win over Mountain View, 28 to 21. And this was thanks to Osman Ochoa and Ben Klassen rushing for over 200 yards and three combined touchdowns. But, you know, they still committed a lot of sloppy turnovers this game. They made a lot of sloppy mistakes on the offensive line, in my opinion. And they're going to have to play with a lot less mistakes as they prepare to face Roosevelt and Northridge in the coming weeks. And let me tell you, I saw Roosevelt this past weekend and Niwot, they're going to need, they're going to need a lot. 
to win this game because Roosevelt just moved to 8-0 on the road against Fort Morgan High School. And man, this was a back and forth game. I actually made it out to this game and I was just blown away by the amount of playmakers on both sides of the ball, you know. I went to this game for a few reasons. One of them was to check out Briggs Wheatley, you know, that quarterback at Fort Morgan. And I think that he played a solid game. You know, to start the game, he was he wasn't making a lot of mistakes, I would say, but his passes were just a little bit off. They were like a football length away sometimes for his receivers to make a play. And, you know, they forced there was a couple of back and forth punts until you know fort morgan kind of gets a huge break when brock saya throws a really tough interception overthrowing kaiser keaton in the end zone and you know i'd say there wasn't a whole lot going on in this first quarter you know fort morgan was able to hold roosevelt to a couple of field goals through this first half and but other than that, the quarterbacks, they had to use their legs to pick up first downs. Both these defenses were forcing hard hits. You know, Ryan Duche nailed Braden Farajo uh, to kill a Fort Morgan drive and force them to punt. And, you know, Frank Ortega was making good pass breakups and uh, against, you know, the likes of Kaiser Keaton. You know, you had Tucker Peterson who kind of had a rare drop, but then, you know, Caught like a 20-yard slant route from Broxea, you know. It, and I just think that through this first half, Roosevelt was definitely the more physical team, in my opinion. And just, I don't know, they, they just looked more complete. But it didn't translate to a lot of points. Like I said, they were only up 6 to nothing right before halftime. And then Fort Morgan put together their best offensive drive of the entire game you know with i want to say like a minute 30 or something minute 45 left at halftime they drove all the way down completed a lot of good passes briggs made a lot of you know kept a lot of plays alive by moving around in the pocket and scrambling and completing some hard throws and you know they end up walking away with the touchdown with a great corner touchdown throw from briggs wheatley and pull ahead to actually start leading this game seven to six and then it's kind of business as usual as we head into the second half. And, you know, there's a lot of back and forth, lots of punts, lots of, you know, fourth down stops. I think one of the worst calls in this game is, okay, well, there's a couple of things here in the second half where Aiden Daniel had one of the cleanest and hardened hit, hardest hits all season uh, for Roosevelt. And, it, you know, it forced an incompletion. Briggs Wheatley should not have thrown this ball to his receiver. He kind of left him out to dry, but I don't know if he saw the defender. The receiver definitely didn't see Aiden. And Aiden just came through, and the contact was so clean. It was a clean hit, and I could hear it from up where I was sitting. And, oh, my gosh, it lit up the Roosevelt sideline and the, the crowd. There was – the stands were kind of packed at this 3A game on both sides, so – you know, that was an exciting environment to be a part of. So shout out to, you know, all those supporters out there at Roosevelt and shout out to the uh, Fort Morgan coaching staff who I was able to meet after the game. But anyways, we'll finish shout outs here in a second. But, you know, that was a huge, a huge play by Aiden Daniels. So I just wanted to shout that out. And then, you know, Fort Morgan, 
They, they end up back on defense and they make a huge open field tackle against Tucker Peterson to force fourth down. Fort Morgan gets the ball back again and Briggs makes a couple of awesome throws to Frank Ortega and, you know, also avoids two sacks before sliding for the first down. And, you know, then this play, I don't know about it. Okay, so Briggs ducks, dives, and weaves, and he runs for like a 40-plus yard touchdown. But the refs call hit on a defenseless player against Fort Morgan. And I think I understand the logic of the call, but I definitely think it was a bit of a soft call. The Fort Morgan player wasn't running at the Roosevelt player. Because once he realized the Roosevelt player was going to turn into him, he stood still and the Roosevelt player ran into him more than anything, in my opinion. He also didn't like lower his shoulder and aim for the head or he didn't like I've I've made a hit on a defenseless player and it did not look like what that play looked like. And, you know, I don't think anyone was endangered on that play. So I don't think that was the right call, but it was the call they made nonetheless. And, you know. It's, I'm not, there's just, the Roosevelt defense steps up. I mean, Briggs continues to try and keep this Fort Morgan offense alive. He finds Frank Ortega for massive first, but Jaden Casanueva for Roosevelt was just dominating the right tackle for Fort Morgan and was bullying him. Kaiser Keaton stepped up and made a few great plays at DB. And, you know, I just... Cooper as well, he, he had a great hurry that forced an incompletion on a screen that would have worked by Fort Morgan. And I, I, wrote, I wrote here that it was a great play call by Fort Morgan, but just a better play by Roosevelt. And, you know, they Roosevelt ends up stringing together a pretty good drive and they're partially helped out by Fort Morgan's own number 36 that committed a horrible personal foul with about 650 left in the game. And, you know, they, they just, they find a way to get it done. Ryan um, Doucette, or Duchet, he, he gets a first down on like a fourth and seven play on a run play that, you know, and he moves the chains. Not only does he move the chains, but he puts Roosevelt inside of the red zone on the five yard line and, you know, gets... And Roosevelt eventually ends up scoring on this drive and converting a two-point conversion, finding you know Tucker Peterson in the corner of the end zone. Broxea does to make it a 14 to seven game. And so Fort Morgan gets the ball back with just you know about three over three minutes left in the game. And you know they, there's a questionable call where they say that Anthony Munoz roughed the passer, and they move Fort Morgan on the other side of the 50 like. It was a 10 yard or maybe an eight or nine, 10 yard pass and catch. And then the roughing the passer added another like 10 to 15 yards on it. So it was like a free 25 yard play. Fort Morgan has got to be feeling themselves with great field position. But the Roosevelt defense clamps down super well. You know, Briggs Wheatley overthrows the receiver and Tucker Peterson. You know, he kind of drops an interception, but it's okay because Keaton Kaiser had his back and on a very tough play you know Briggs Wheatley finds his receiver for the first down and Kaiser just 
does a great job of maneuvering his body, making an athletic play, reaching around the receiver without committing pass interference, and punches and rips the ball out of the hands of the Fort Morgan receiver. And that would eventually be the game-sealing pass deflection. I also want to shout out the lineman Alex Ariola, number 74, I think is his number, who picked up a perfect blitz, I should say, from the Fort Morgan side, you know, uh, as in Fort Morgan was blitzing and Alex here picked up the blitz on Roosevelt side and opened up a massive lane that allowed Xavier Ramirez to run for what, you know, was the final necessary first, first down of the game. So I just wanted to shout out the lineman there. It's very rare that I shout out a lineman and notice a play that they make, but that was just hard to ignore. And so Roosevelt ended up winning this game 14 to seven. Like I said, you know, that keeps Roosevelt at number one. Fort Morgan this is their first loss of the season. They're still one of the best teams, if not the second best team in all of 3A. And, you know, both these teams have a couple of... Fort Morgan has Northridge up next week, I believe. But at least they have them at home. And then they also have Holy Family as their last game of the season. So, you know, they have a couple of tough games. And Roosevelt gets to finish out against Niwa and Mountain View. I told all of those guys there at the end of the game to just take care of business. And I just want to say... You know, shout out to that Roosevelt squad. I was able to meet Tucker Peterson, Brock Saya, Ryan, Kitan Keezer, and and a handful of other guys after the game. And I just want to say thank you guys for putting on a show and being pleasant. And uh, just remember what I told you. And hey, just just shout out to that Roosevelt squad for supporting the podcast. Thank you, gentlemen. And with that being said, that will actually do it for our three A segment. Like I said, it was a great football game for both these teams. I could totally see them meeting up again in the playoffs. But yeah, overall, phenomenal game. Great game to go to. Coming up next, I will talk 4A and 5A football. Hey y'all, and welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I am your host for this episode, Cody Stoffer, and we are talking 4A football finally on this episode. And I'm actually going to start off with a game that Mason and I attended. It was the Aurora Central versus Denver South game. This was for the 4A Metro 2 League title, and it did not disappoint. And I'm going to speak on behalf of Mason Austin when I say thank you guys over there at Aurora Central for hooking up with tickets. Shout out to our boy LJ. Hopefully he makes a speedy recovery. It looked like he he went down in the fourth with some kind of ankle issue. But overall, he had a solid game. He took care of business on the offensive line. And, you know, I was impressed with his play, and I appreciate him inviting us out to the game, and so does Mason. But, you know, this game started off really exciting. Aurora Central actually started off with the lead in this game. And, you know, they they stay competitive throughout this game. But, you know, I'd say to summarize this, you know, kind of briefly that, you know, Aurora Central kind of continually shot themselves in the foot with turnovers. You know, that that's really what killed them during this game. They just they couldn't really catch a break, I don't think, from themselves, of course. But, you know. Going through kind of the notable plays in this game. And by the way, thank you for our Twitter voters and our Instagram voters for 
telling us who you think would win. But Trayvon Simmons Adams, he's kind of Aurora Central's in between the tackles, kind of running back, and he's kind of the gritty guy. He started off the scoring with a touchdown run to put the Trojans up seven to nothing. But then Denver South responded very, very fast with, you know, Rashad Caldwell, one of the fastest receivers in Colorado football, one of the fastest athletes, period, in Colorado football. He takes a quick slant to the house. It was a missed tackle. And after that, there was no catching him. And so that tied it up 7-7. Seven seven. And then still with 38.7 seconds left in the first quarter, Chevelle Early, the sophomore running back for Denver South, he found Pater making it 14-7. And then... You know, this game kind of goes really back and forth here. Simeon Veasley recovers a fumble for Trojans football, but then Jonah Burke for Denver South, you know, he was definitely def the defensive player of the game, in my opinion. He made, he had a great two-play series where, you know, he sacked Nick Portillo and then intercepted, intercepted him on the very next play. So, you know, he had a great dominant two-game, you know, two-play stretch. He also recovered a fumble during this game. And I'll summarize that a lot more. But Jonah Burke is a great baller. And pardon me, I I don't know if he is related to Julian Burke, who was the quarterback last year, but Burke is spelled the same way. So if you know the answer to that, feel free to fill me in. But, you know, heading, heading towards halftime, you know, Denver South capitalizes off of some of these Aurora Central turnovers. And Joseph Capra, one of the best quarterbacks in the state, he can get it done through the air and through the ground. And he does exactly that and puts Denver South up 20-7, you know, with, with his legs. And, you know, like I said, Jonah Burke, he eventually recovers the fumble. And he this is the fumble that he recovered. And, you know, heading into halftime, Denver South doesn't capitalize off of that fumble. Aurora Central gets the ball back. They drive down. They're on the one-yard line. And this is a very big turning point in this game, in my opinion. They have the ball on the one-yard line with about a minute left in the first half. Aurora Central does. They're down 20-7. to seven. They score here and get an extra point attempt. They start the second half with the football. And what do you know? You could end up walking away with a lead on these next two drives. However, Aurora Central does put the ball on the carpet on the one-yard line. The worst place to put it. And Denver South recovers. So instead of going into half... 20 to 14 ending on a score for Aurora Central. They head into half with, you know, empty bellies and wondering what could have been to end that half. And that definitely is not a good, you know, emotional thing to happen right before halftime. It is not a good mentality thing to happen right before halftime. And I think that it left Aurora Central kind of in the doldrums throughout this game, you know, where they kind of come out empty handed on the next drive. And while their defense, you know, Marcus Howard made some plays on the defensive side for Aurora Central, you know, Denver South ends up driving, you know, they're kind of getting a good solid amount of running yards out of Chevelle early every time he touches the ball. And Joseph Capra is completing passes and Rashad Caldwell, you know, he takes a little screen inside the five yard line and puts it in the end zone for his second receiving touchdown of the night. And that put Denver South up 26 to seven. And, you know, Aurora South is definitely on the ropes here, but luckily they have Kyrie's Kirby, one of the best playmakers in the entire state. He 
runs over 50 yards to pull Aurora Central back within 12, 14 to 26. And this is kind of the game that I thought it would be where you get a bunch of back and forth scores where Denver South scores, Aurora Central scores. Then, you know, on the very next drive, Dominic McGath, he finds the end zone on a swing pass from Joseph Capra to score. And then Kyrus Kirby does it again and runs for a touchdown for Aurora Central. So, you know, you have these multiple consecutive drives where if you ignore the beginning of the game, right, then you have, you know, like a tied game here between Denver South and Aurora Central. But that's not how it was. Obviously, Denver South started off with a big lead. And so by the time Kyrie's Kirby runs for his second touchdown, it's 21 to 33. And Aurora Central just doesn't have really a play from behind offense. You know, they're a very run heavy team. And so when you're down by, you know, 12 points in the fourth quarter, it makes it really tough. And, you know, Joseph Capra, he kind of put the dagger in this game with a 57 yard touchdown run with seven and a half minutes left that put Denver South up 39 to 21. And that ended up being the final score at Aurora Public School Stadium. And just some notes that I have here from the end of the game to kind of summarize what happened. Nick Portillo kind of killed Aurora Central here. He couldn't hold on to the ball to save his life. And receiving snaps, he muffed four snaps and lost two fumbles in that way. And the interception that he threw to Jonah Burke was just a really... I don't really know who he was trying to... I don't think he knew who he was trying to throw to because there were two receivers kind of in a similar area. And he kind of put it in between them and above them. And it landed in Jonah Burke's arms. So if this team wants to do better, he's he's going to have to step up. That's That's... As simple as it is, they should still probably make the playoffs. You know, RPI is going to be a bit cruel to them, but, you know, they, they need to do a better job of not turning it over. And if it weren't for Kyrie's Kirby here being one of the best athletes in the state, you know, Aurora Central loses this game by a lot more. They lose this game by a lot more without Kyrie's Kirby. You know, he averaged over 12 yards per carry. Like I said, he had two rushing touchdowns. And, you know, it, it was just a real shame that Aurora Central committed so many mistakes because... This running back, you know, committee of, you know, Kyrie's Kirby, who's super athletic. You have the tough runner of Trayvon Simmons and you have the fellow, you know, kind of flashy back and Simeon Beasley. All of these guys are really good and they're very complementary to each other. And it allows for kind of a creative run game for this Aurora Central team. But, you know, like I said, they just put the ball on the carpet way too many times. And Simeon Beasley, you know, he was the one who fumbled on that one yard line. That's a play that he's really going to want back. And all I can say to him is move on to next week, move on to next snap. That's all you can do because there's nothing you could do to change the past now. And so, you know, I think that this Aurora Central team, they're very under scouted in my opinion. There's a lot of, like I said, great athletes on this offensive side of the ball. You also have Marcus Howard, who at 6'6 plays at a damn good pad level. He's a very strong football player and one of the best edge rushers in the state. He's amongst the league leaders, or state leaders, I should say, in sacks, and I could totally see why. And then you also have in the middle there, you have, I think it's Brian Weatherford or BJ Weatherford. He, you know, he has some looks at that next level. And, you know, it's for a good reason. He does a good job at filling holes and kind of flowing well to the ball. And he's pretty athletic as well. You know, he made some plays on the offensive side of the ball. But, you know, that just wasn't enough for this Aurora Central team. 
to overcome this very talented Denver South team. And you could tell that the speed of Denver South kind of overwhelmed Central between, you know, Rashad Caldwell's long touchdown catch and run, and then Joseph Capra's 50-plus yard touchdown run. These guys, you know, they were having a heyday with this Aurora Central defense. And, you know, Capra, he proved that he's one of the best in the state. You know, he threw three touchdowns and he ran for two in a near flawless performance on his behalf. And, you know, it helps when you have guys like Jonah Burke, who I said was the defensive player of the game. You have guys like Chevelle Early, who, you know, he had a fumble in this game, but he had good vision and he was a punishing runner all night. Whoever tackled him was going to feel it. And, you know, that's that's saying a lot and it opens up a lot of the offense. They just have so many weapons on this Denver South team. And, you know, I haven't seen a defense this far who I think can really slow them down. The only people that can slow them down are themselves. And that's why Joseph Capra is one of the state leaders in touchdown passes. He is just such a good talent. I'm really glad I got to see him live. And there is just a lot of playmakers in this game. And, you know, this is a must-see game. I was really disappointed in the stands, personally, talking about overall review. This was a very empty game. It was a Thursday night game. This game probably should have been moved or flexed to a Friday night game, if possible, because this was for the 4A Metro League. Um, Metro 2 League, I should say. And so, you know, these were two, these were the two best teams in the league. And, you know, minus, you know, one or two turnovers, this, is, this game is a one-score game here. So, you know, Aurora Central... They're definitely kicking themselves in the butt a little bit at this game. But overall, you know, they have a lot of great talent on both sides of the ball. And I don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon. A lot of these players, other than Marcus Howard, are juniors. So they should get back-to-back -back years of, you know, just dominant run game and finding ways to win the football game. And, you know, Denver South, they're in a great spot to even contend for state this year, I think. Uh, both of these teams are very solid and good football programs. I had a chance to meet the coach of Aurora Central. Very awesome guy. You know, he's not, I'm not saying anything that he didn't say as far as, you know, just shooting themselves in the foot. That was the overall consensus. So I, I have faith in him to get it cleaned up in practice and win the rest of their games and then, you know, be ready for playoffs. You know, he's, he's very excited for that. And hopefully they get some health on their side as well. You know, they had a couple of injuries. Apparently one of their other edge rushers was hurt coming into the game. He had a concussion. Like I said, our boy LJ, you know, he was having an ankle issue. So I wish nothing but health and prosperity for the Sorora Central team, who is one of the most underscouted and underrated programs in the entire state. Denver South, they're properly rated. Everyone knows about the talent on this football program. And both these teams, I'm looking forward to see what they do in the playoffs. But moving on, the only other Thursday night game that I thought was of note was Arvada West gets a league win over Lakewood. You know, in Lakewood, you still have Connor Ladd. He's one of the best running backs in the entire state. And, you know, he had a great game. He ran it 24 times for 111 yards and two scores, but just couldn't keep up with this Arvada West offense by himself. Ethan Cook threw three touchdowns on five passing attempts. He only had one incompletion. So, every, you know, 60% of the times that he raised his arm to throw the dang football, he was throwing a touchdown. And this Arvada West defense also turned up. I think that they just really cranked it up on Connor Ladd. So kudos to him for still finding holes and still finding ways to score. But this AOS defense had 11 tackles for loss, five sacks, two from Reed Henkel. And, you know, this isn't a high quality win, but it puts Arvada West right back into the top 10 for the Chassa RPI and a good spot heading into playoffs. Talking about Friday's games, 
The only Friday 4A game I'm going to talk about is Regis Jesuit versus Pine Creek. Granted, Regis is 5A, Pine Creek is 4A. So it's kind of in a weird spot to put, but I'm just going to put it here because I'm talking about Pine Creek. They led 14 to 7 in this game before surrendering 17 unanswered points. And Regis Jesuit wins this 24 to 14. JoJo Roy struggled mightily in this game. He went 6 of 14 with an interception and no passing touchdowns. And I mean, granted, I'm pretty sure he had the only two rushing touchdowns or the only touchdowns for Pine Creek this game, but he could not get it done through the air. This Regis defense didn't make it easy, you know, and I think that's due to Nuni Tuatel, I think is how you say his name. And just that entire Regis unit was getting lots of hurries. They had 14 hurries on JoJo Roy, and they would have left with probably like six sacks if JoJo wasn't such an athletic freak and tried to make plays. But yeah, this Regis front seven, they are very hazardous i think that when they're fully healthy that they'll probably be unstoppable you know in that that's a good win quality win i think even against the 4a team heading into the end of the season and that's momentum that you want to carry into the playoffs where you've kind of been bullied by some of the other top 5a teams you need to build some of that momentum and build some of that confidence as well and they were able to do that not only on the defensive side but the offensive side of the ball xavier and xander uh carroll they did most of the dirty work for Regis, scoring all three touchdowns on the ground between the two of them and combining for 96 rushing yards as well as a few passing yards. So, But for other 4A games, well, okay, real quick, Vista Ridge beat Ponderosa 10-7. There's not really too much to talk about there other than the score result, Ponderosa dropping another game in this league and uh, clawing and fighting. You know, their RPI is going to keep them in the playoffs, but I wonder if they can compete against some of these better 4A teams after, you know, dropping one to Montrose, dropping this one to Vista Ridge. And, well, they dropped, or not to Montrose, but they dropped one to Legend to start the season. They dropped a comeback win to Palmer Ridge, and now this game to Vista Ridge. Ponderosa is in a very questionable spot heading into the playoffs here on how much they can exactly compete. But some of the other 4A games that were covered, I'm going to pass it over to Simon first, who went to the Cheyenne Mountain versus Falcon High School game. And then I'm going to let Mason Austin summarize the very electrifying Golden versus Dakota Ridge game. All right, what's good, y'all? Welcome back. My name is Simon Villanos, a.k.a. Coach V, and I was able to make it to the Falcon versus Cheyenne Mountain game. Last week, I said whoever won this game would go to the playoffs, and so this was a pretty good one. You know, Falcon was 5-2 and two going in, Cheyenne Mountain was 7-1 and one going in. Basically, these two are at the top of the I-25 league, uh, which is a 4A league, and so just so y'all know, this is the, I'm pretty sure it's the only league in 4A where only one team in this league could go to the playoffs and that is the league champion and so Falcon at this point I think they're ranked like 17th or something like that Cheyenne Mountain was just barely in and so at least according to RPI and so even if one of these two teams were ranked uh in that top um you know 26 or 24 according to the RPI it wouldn't have mattered unless they are the league champs so let me go ahead and hop into it so in the first quarter, pretty sure Falcon gets the ball at the 4 minute 48 second mark. Cam Robinette for Falcon would score the first rushing touchdown 
off of multiple uh, Darius McFarland runs, you know. This was around like a 50 or 60 yard drive and Darius, he really carried, um, <laughs> he really carried for most of this drive and set up this first scoring touchdown for Falcon. Unfortunately, they would miss the PAT and so it would only be 6-0 to zero Falcon. Now moving on in the quarter, uh, Falcons player Ryan Patterson, you know, he was kind of, he made a nice impact this game and it started off with a huge sack on second that would force an eventual three and out for Cheyenne Mountain. But no worries at the one minute, five second mark, still in the fourth quarter, Cheyenne Mountain's number 18 intercepts Cam Robinette with 23 yards to go to the end zone. Um, Cheyenne Mountain with 23 yards to go uh, to the end zone. And you know what? In the second quarter with about 10 minutes left, Cheyenne Mountain would get a rushing touchdown and hit the PAT automatically taking a 7-6 to lead. Zach Johnson for Cheyenne Mountain would um, have a really nice like 20-ish uh, rush that would set up this rushing touchdown for Cheyenne Mountain. Now, most of this half would be pretty uneventful, though. Um, but at the nine-minute mark, uh, Falcon gets the ball back and Darius McFarland breaks loose for a really nice 40-yard rush. That sets up Falcon in, you know, in scoring range, basically. But with around four minutes left in the second quarter, Cheyenne Mountain's number nine. Uh, he swats a Falcon pass, like like a basketball block almost. Like I saw it, Cam, he rolled out, and then he was, he was looking for somebody on fourth down, and then that number nine for Cheyenne Mountain, he just rose as Cam threw it, and he just swatted it backwards. And so that's how that a drive went for Falcon. Shine Mountain gets a huge goal line stand with four minutes left. Now, like I said, not much else happened, but there was a very bad call by the refs. Like, like very bad call. Shine Mountain, they were punting the ball, and the ball definitely hit the the player on Falcon who was either trying to block or return the kick. And I saw, like, I literally saw the ball touch his, like, whole inner calf and whatnot and bounce off of him. And Sean Mountain would jump on it. But the refs, I guess, um, they... I don't know what they were doing, but they said it was Falcon Ball instead of Cheyenne Mountain Ball. Uh, but honestly, it really didn't matter because after halftime with about six minutes left in the third quarter, Cheyenne Mountain on their opening drive would go ahead and kick a nice field goal, making it 10-6 to Cheyenne Mountain. Falcon would get the ball back with about five minutes left in the third, but Cheyenne Mountain's number two... Um, basically picks up a key fumble that Falcon, or sorry, that Cheyenne Mountain forced on Falcon to get set up in the red zone. But fortunately, this Falcon defense stood strong with about four minutes left in the third quarter, uh, forcing a three and out, basically, and uh, stop. well, Cheyenne Mountain would attempt a field goal, uh, but they would miss it. It was wide right, I'm pretty sure. And so Falcon, they do not allow a score there. Now, more time goes by. You know, Cheyenne Mountain is driving. But then number three, Damon McDonald for Falcon would pick it off, uh, pick off Cheyenne Mountain. And then uh, that would basically end the third quarter. Now, Falcon has the ball going into the fourth it's only a 10-6 to 6 game. A touchdown basically wins it at this point. 
but Sean Mountain would get a huge stop on fourth down, stopping uh, McFarland short of that fourth down, actually, by like a yard or two, I want to say. And so that was pretty big. But once again, Ryan Patterson, number 27 for Falcon, comes up big with about nine minutes left, forces a fumble that eventually sets up a fourth where Josiah Sanders for Falcon would stop the fake punt that Shine Mountain would try to uh, pull. I don't know why Shine Mountain was pulling a fake punt here. In my opinion, they should have just kept the offense out there because I'm pretty sure everyone knew it was a fake punt. But Josiah Sanders, you know, he goes ahead and ends that. He nails the punter or whoever got the ball there, and Falcon gets the ball back. Now, as you could hear... You can hear that Falcon had multiple chances, not only in this game, but in the fourth quarter to, to win it. But I'm just going to be honest, you know, the play calling was horrible. Like, I've never seen worse play calling in a football game in my entire life. I'm going to be honest, I was very disappointed in how this game was called for Falcon. I don't know what they were doing. It was disgusting to watch the coaches call plays and I know they've went through a lot this year but that's no excuse I do not know what they were doing but you know with around seven minutes left Falcon being Falcon they want to you know commit to the run as they have all season and if you listen to my I-25 preview I did say if Falcon can't figure out a passing game there's no way that they win this league and you know just for that reason really for that reason they couldn't figure out a passing game even though I could tell they were trying with multiple passing you know plays that they were calling it just wasn't going to be enough you know and so Falcon you know, with seven minutes left, you don't have to pass quite yet. You could still run your offense. You really only need one touchdown. But Cheyenne Mountain's defense was just standing strong. And so Falcon, you know, they called basically three straight run plays. And surprise, surprise, there were three straight tackles for losses. It was basically just a dive, a sweep, and then another dive. They didn't get it. And, you know, there are no surprises there. But this is where Falcon really screwed up. And I did not like it at all but they decided to call a fake punt and by the way it's like it's like fourth and ten at this point because i'm pretty sure they got some yards back on uh, their third down play uh either fourth and ten or like fourth and 13 something like that but not only do they call a fake punt on fourth and 13 in their territory by the way uh but they call a power option fake punt which doesn't work out because you already know <laughs> Falcon could only run the ball. They don't know how to pass the ball. They do not know how to pass the ball. And so Cheyenne Mountain knew this and they blasted whoever was there, weeded it out. It was not even close. Somehow though, Falcon would get the ball back because, you know, that happened around the 7 minute 42 second mark. They had plenty of time, but they get the ball back with around two minutes left. This is your classic two minute drill. You should be practicing this at least every week, if not three or four times a week, if I'm being completely honest. That should be bread and butter. And you know what? That's my personal philosophy, you know? Practice two-minute drills so that you could get the max amount of points you can in every game, whether it's two minutes left in the first half or two minutes left in the second half. Well... Falcon look like they've never ran a two-minute drill in their life. Even worse, like I said, the play calling was bad. And I don't blame the players. You know, I feel like Cam, he played a good enough game. 
So did Darius McFarlane, Carter Thorpe. You know, they did their thing. Number 27, Ryan Patterson for Falcon had some pretty big defensive plays. You know, they they did, I felt like the players did enough. But I'm very confident in saying this was all the adults' fault in this one because they failed. Just straight up. In the worst way. And it wasn't good calls. Because I'll tell you what they called with a two-minute drill here. With two minutes left, Falcon has a chance to win it. It is still 10-6 at this point. 10-6. And they have two minutes. I'm pretty sure they have a timeout as well. And so, spoiler alert, they basically call almost all run plays. And not only did they not look prepared... Uh, and here's how I know they didn't look prepared because they were called a dive, right? Boom, Jarius McFarlane, he gets like eight or seven yards, if not the first down. There you go. And then they sent receivers to the sideline or sent someone to the sideline to go get the play. And golly, they took so long to snap the ball because around almost 30 seconds went by before they called their next play, which was just a run. I don't know why they're running out the clock here because they're still on their own side of the field. They have like almost 70 yards to go before they score. So you got to go. You got to go. You can't be waiting 30 seconds. You know, to be honest with you, a good coach would have four or five plays Right off the bat, like, yo, hey, you already know. Run these four or five plays, then we'll come back and figure it out. Hopefully, hopefully these four or five plays get you on the other side of the field with around 40 or 50 yards to go. Ideally, you're in the red zone with these four or five plays. But they kept sending players back and forth. That's how they knew they weren't ready. Wasting a lot of time. They really only ran five plays here with like 20 seconds in between each play almost. It was not, it was horrible. It was horrible. But after that Darius McFarland run, they call a quarterback sneak on first down. <sighs> who does who does that? First down, the clock is running. You know, you have 60 yards to go. You're not on your the other side of the field yet. You took 20 seconds to call this play, and it's a quarterback sneak. They get five yards because who would be expecting quarterback sneak? You, they still stuff him, though, basically. But they get five yards. They waste some time there. And then they call another, hey, you know, very surprising here. They call a sweep play. Weed that one out. You know, that's a tackle for loss. Sets up third down. They have to pass at this point, basically. They have to pass. And so they set up a pass. I'm not completely mad at it. Cam, he probably should have completed it. But... Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I'm not a big fan of this. It's basically third and long at this point. So, you're not happy with the play call. And so, you the, the pressure's on the quarterback. He feels like he has to make a big splash play. And whenever you put unnecessary pressure on a quarterback, ah, that's never good. That's never good. And so, the quarterback kind of just hucks it up there. Uh, the wide receiver is kind of open. But, you know, the corner is definitely trailing. There's a safety there as well. Uh, fortunately, he overthrows it, and it's not like a turnover or anything. And so the clock stops. And you got about a minute, 16 seconds left uh, for Falcon here. It is fourth down. You've wasted a lot of time here. You know, you had um, close to two minutes, a little bit over two minutes, uh, realistically, at this point to drive. You're still on your side of the field, and so you have like 50-plus yards to go. Uh, and they have to call another pass on fourth down. They're expecting the run, right? 
Uh, and it's the same passing play, basically. Just, you know, minus maybe 20 yards on the one route. On the one guy who's running a route, basically, at this point. Uh, and unfortunately, Cam, he overthrows him by a lot. There might have been some miscommunication there. Shine Mountain gets the ball, runs out the clock. And just like that, the Falcon coaches blow the opportunity to go to the playoffs for the second straight year. And Shine Mountain punches their way into the playoffs, becoming the league champions as well. Well, presumed league champion, Shine Mountain does play Widefield actually this week. Uh, but Widefield is 3-5, Shine Mountain is 8-1. I think Shine Mountain should win this game. Um, but I'm pretty sure this one is put away. Shine Mountain's going to the playoffs, unfortunately. Falcon gets eliminated in their own stadium, which, oh my god. I don't know, I don't know. Falcon, they had a lot going on this season, you know, obviously they had the whole scandal that went on uh, with the sexual harassment and whatnot. From the, In my opinion, from the looks of it, doesn't really seem like they punished anybody, they just continued to play. Um, the fact that they were able to, you know, kind of stay in playoff contention here is uh, a little bit in a slap in the face of some of these other teams that have worked hard and have ran honest programs. But I think the people over at Falcon, first off, if you're a player over at Falcon, uh, unless you were involved with that stuff, look, I'm sorry. Like, your coaches failed you, the adults around you failed you, the athletic director, they failed you too. Um, because that's the worst two-minute drill I've ever seen in my entire life. In a two-minute drill, how do you call a quarterback sneak on first, on first down, not even third or fourth, but on first down? And then how do you call predominantly all runs... And not even that, like, it's not like, oh, they're going hurry up and calling runs, but you're taking time to send someone to the huddle just to call a run and waste a lot of clock and get yourself in another third and long position. Um, and at this point, you would think, like, hey, maybe Falcon figured out, like, don't put your quarterback in third and long uh, positions because you literally had two other chances in this fourth quarter where you could have won the game and, you know, continue this drive and scored a touchdown. Um, not, I'm not even talking about the rest of this game, like this whole game as a whole. Like in this fourth quarter, Falcon had literally three chances to score a touchdown, including this two-minute drill, basically. And they failed the same way three straight times. How does that happen? Well, what are you doing? Like, on God, the Junior Buffs, the Aurora Spartans, Thunder Gray Chase's team, by the way, um, who else, who else, Prince Hall, the Falcons, Raptors Silver, the middle school squad that represents the Springs, me, Cody, Mason, like everyone here at the Playmakers Corner, we all call better plays than this Falcon coaching staff, that is horrible, was Falcon, here's what I really want to know, was Falcon trying to throw this game, because it seemed like it, you call all run plays, even when you need a score, you call all run plays when the game is on the line, when playoffs is on the line, where you have seniors on this team that have worked so hard to get here for you to fail them. Like, you threw it away. You called all run plays. It seemed like Falcon was running out their own clock. It really did. Like, I don't... Like, I can't justify... I'm tired of defending y'all. I'll be honest with you. I've... I... I'm tired of it. You know? I'm tired of defending y'all. Falcon, you need to figure it out because you have a disgrace of a program right now with the coaches you got there. I, You need to figure something out. I know, I know that you got rid of your head coach and whatnot and you're really working off of his playbook, but you need to hire a better coach. You just do. 
I could coach better. I promise you, I could coach better. I really can. Anybody on this podcast can coach better. You know, any of the middle school coaches I've seen this last weekend can coach better. But that is the worst play calling I've ever seen in my entire life. I've never seen a worse called football game in the fourth quarter. Really not even the fourth quarter. This was a one-score game. Like, throughout the whole game. So you can make an argument that this is the worst called football game. Well, I can make an argument. This is the worst called football game I've seen in my entire life. Final score was 10-6. to Shine Mountain, they got some players. I don't blame them. You know, they're 7-1 for a reason. They got some players. But, this was a winnable game for Falcon. I... At the beginning of the season, I didn't predict Falcon winning this game. Keep that in mind. I said, this is a game that could get away from them. So for them to be in it, 10-6, to since, here, let me see here. Since the six-minute mark in the third quarter. So not you had six minutes in the third quarter. You had the entire fourth quarter. Three chances in the fourth quarter that your defense set up, by the way, for you to fail in not even, it wasn't even close, bro. Like, they've basically went three and out on two of those three fourth quarter drives. And then in that last drive, you know, the only reason they weren't three and out is because Darius McFarlane is a beast. I don't know, man, but very disappointing year. I feel horrible for the players over at Falcon. This was a game that the adults, they just, I mean, I don't know what they're doing, but they did want to win. They were tapped out. They were tapping out. They were tapping out. Let's. I'm just going to call it how it is. This was the worst football game I've ever seen in my entire life. It needs to be called out. There needs to be changes at Falcon. You have too much talent to to be, to be lose to for the season to end like this, if I'm being completely honest with you. Now, Falcon, they do play Thornton. Um, this is their like last official game, but you know this one basically really doesn't matter at this point because Cheyenne Mountain, that was the game you needed to win. You threw that one away. No, okay, not Fa- okay. Sorry, not. I shouldn't label Falcon as you know the team as a community. I should really be labeling the adults. The adults threw that one away by allowing what they did. You know earlier in the season, maybe if you had that week of practice, uh, you would have practiced the two minute drill a little bit more, but you didn't. Obviously, got away with it, came back in contention for the playoffs, and you still failed the kids on the field this time. So. I don't know, but this was disgusting. Congrats to Cheyenne Mountain. They will be going to the playoffs. Falcon, get it right. And thank you, Simon, for recapping that. And yeah, I I agree. I could definitely come up with a two-minute drill, unlike those coaches over at Falcon, I suppose. And this isn't the first time we've had to tear into this Falcon team as you recall, I did tear into them over the scandals and allegations, mostly the community and also the adults, once again, failing the kids in that situation. But talking about some, you know, quality football and some good football on two sides, I'm going to pass it over to Mason Austin to talk about Golden versus Dakota Ridge. How's it going, everyone? My name is Mason Austin, and this is the Playmakers Corner podcast. I'm going to go ahead and start talking about this. Dakota Ridge versus Golden game. To start, I would like to say I was just a bit late, but I did go ahead and get to see that first touchdown drive by Golden ended in a number two touchdown run, putting them 7-0 to start the quarter. Dakota Ridge did go ahead and start their next drive where they did have number four in that one with a 22-yard touchdown run off of a beautiful pre-snap movement, tying the game 7-7 with a minute 41 in the first. 
Number four did go ahead and start that next drive with a couple good completions to number two, where then Dakota Rich did, right before the end of the first, get a late hit. On the next play, it did go ahead and end the drive. Golden Tide 7-7, Golden Ball. Number 44 for Golden did go ahead and get stuffed in the backfield by number 57. Number four, I do want to comment on his placement for this ball when he threw a number... Uh, like a 10-yard slant to number two, but it was in the perfect placement where only number two could grab it. Then number four did get a one-yard gain, but he still brought up that fourth and two where number 24 got a five-yard first down run for Golden. That did go ahead and bring up first and goal where number four did run in for about eight yards. And then on second down, they did have an illegal formation, which brought them back which did go ahead and end up stalling out that drive where they did kick a field goal, making it 10 to seven golden up. Dakota Ridge then did go ahead and start that next drive where they had a 17 yard gain, then did get sacked by number nine of golden, then had a six yard gain, which brought up third and four, where number 14 did go ahead and miss someone over the middle with a bit of a high pass where it looked like this golden defense was kind of getting the pressure on him they went ahead and punted where number four did go ahead and start the drive for golden with a very great um pocket awareness play where he kind of stepped up in the pocket almost got sacked but he just barely scrambled out of there for a 17 yard gain they kind of drove down the field a little bit where this big play happened Number four hit number 18 with, again, unbelievable placement of this ball for a first down. And then he did go ahead and get a little bit hurried and threw a pick to number one of the Dakota Ridge defense. Dakota Ridge then did go ahead and start their next drive on the six, where number 14 went through an incompletion. They had a zero yard gain where the interior defensive lineman of this golden team was just stopping them. Golden did have a chance on a rollout play by number 14 to pick him off as well, but they did end up dropping it. With four seconds left in the quarter, Dakota Ridge did fake a punt that went for 30 yards, but they did get a stop before they got anywhere near the end zone and ended the half at 10-7. Golden up to start the next half. Golden did go ahead and get the ball where they had one play that went for two yards by number two. Number 24 did get stopped in the middle, and then number four did get sacked. Well, kind of a tripped up sack by number 48 and number one on that play, bringing up fourth and 16, where they did go ahead and punt. But this officiating staff did go ahead and miss a hit on the punter. Dakota Rich started this next drive a little strong. Number four came out with an 11-yard strike. Then he, number three, did get a tackle for loss on this golden side where he tackled number 41 for a one-yard loss. But then number 14 threw a check down throw and got five yards. Then he got stuffed in the backfield, so it was kind of a back-and-forth battle here. But they did go ahead and get into the red zone where they stalled out and kicked a field goal of their own, tying the game 10-10 with 7-0-4 in the third quarter. It was then a touchback kick where Golden started their drive. Number four missed his first pass of this drive over the middle to number two, then hit number 88 for a 10-yard gain. Then number two was stuffed up the middle by this Dakota Ridge defense. While stuffing the play, they did go ahead and force a fumble. Number two did go ahead and fumble there for Golden, where him and number 70 for Golden went down in the same play. 
coming out of the injury, number 14 for Dakota Rich did go ahead and find number one for a 36-yard TD pass with beautiful placement. Leaving 6-19 left in the third, 17-10, Dakota Ridge up. Coming out on the next drive, number 4 for Golden did go ahead and miss number 8 over the middle. Then had a batted pass by number 3 on this Dakota Ridge defense. And since the start of this half, it just looked like Dakota Ridge's pressure was all up in number 4's face the whole time. Number four did go ahead and roll out and have a beautifully placed ball that was dropped by number 22, which would have given them the first down, but then it had brought up fourth, and they did go ahead and punt. To start the drive, Golden had a beautiful play by number 10 where he stuffed number four up the middle. Then they did get a face mask penalty on the offense because he hit him during a block, I guess, which replayed first down but brought it to first and 20, where number 14 did find number five for a 35-yard gain, and he was slinging it starting this half. Number 14 did go ahead and play off a screen really well, going to number 4, that ended up going for 12 yards, which brought him up to a first and goal on the 9. Number 14 did do a QB keep for 8 yards, bringing him up on to a second and goal on the 1, where number 4 did go ahead and run that in for a 1-yard touchdown score. Putting this Dakota Ridge team up 24-10 with 3.39 left in the third. This is where number four did come out of the gates and he had a 56-yard scramble when he was getting pressured. Then he did also on that same set of two plays, he found number two for about a two-yard game. Where they did go ahead and have a 22-yard designed QB run where it went for a touchdown, making it 24-17 golden uh, down at this point. 2.47 left in the third quarter. Golden did go ahead and force a punt on Dakota Ridge's next drive, where they did have a couple notable plays. They read a screen up the middle perfectly, where number 10 laid a hit on their running back right as he caught the ball, where he did drop it. And then they also had beautiful coverage, forcing this number 14 to go ahead and throw the ball away. Golden, after the punt, did go ahead and burn their first of their three timeouts. Then number 4 had an 18-yard run where he kept it on a read option. Then number 24 had a 2-yard gain. Then number 4 was actually almost intercepted for a second time because his receiver didn't take a look where he was throwing. And it looked like kind of a miscommunication between the wide receiver and the quarterback at this point. Following that play, number 4 did find number 3 on a 12-yard gain, but he was scrambling the whole time and extended the play with his feet. Number 24 did go ahead and have a 9-yard gain on first down, which actually brought up the end of the third, which made it 24-17 Dakota Ridge up. This drive did go ahead and end a couple plays later by number 4 on another designed QB run for 9 yards, where he did tie the game 24-24 with 9.56 left. Following this play... On the very next play on the kickoff, number four did go ahead and return a touchdown for Dakota Ridge. It was 31-24 with 9.42 left in the game. Dakota Ridge up. Dakota Ridge did go ahead and have a kick that bounced at the one and then out of bounds. So it did technically count as an out of bounds kick, I guess, where it was the penalty and they got the ball on the 45 for Golden. Starting this next drive, number four found number 18 for a four-yard gain. Then on second, it did get called back for holding by number 53, bringing him back to a second 15. 
Number four did incomplete a pass on the next one. On the very next play, pass interference Dakota Ridge number 44. This brought up a second and one where number four showed off his beautiful arm to number 22 where he threw a 65 yard touchdown pass tying the game 31-31. 8.37 left in the game. I do want to say on this play, I've never personally seen a high school quarterback throw a ball so beautifully placed. On this next drive, Dakota Ridge did return the ball to the 45, where number four had a 25-yard gain start. Uh, they did get the defense offsides for an encroachment, uh, first and five, then 14 had a one-yard gain, and then a two-yard gain, where Golden did go ahead and call a timeout with 6.47 in the game. Number four did have a four-yard carry, followed up by number 14, hitting number three for a 15-yard touchdown pass, putting Dakota Ridge up 38-31, with 6.13 left in the game. On the next drive, Dakota Ridge did go ahead and bat a pass. Number 11 did, and bringing up a third down, where number four did scramble for a five-yard gain, getting the first. Where number two did go ahead and run for about a three-yard gain, Following that, number four did go ahead and have a TD run where he went 48 yards into the end zone to tie the game 38-38 with 3-10 left. Now at this point, Dakota Ridge did know that they didn't or weren't able to stop this golden offense. So they did go ahead and run the ball a lot, going down the field slowly but surely where Golden did call a timeout with a minute four left in the game. But the QB, number 14, did go ahead and get a two-yard keeper for a first down. Dakota Ridge did go ahead and take a timeout on first and goal, run a play, getting about two yards to bring up second and goal on the four. Then on third and goal, after taking another timeout with 9.4 seconds left, number four did go ahead and strike with a touchdown, bringing them up 45-38. That did go ahead and end the game. They had a couple incompletions by number four trying to make a play happen at the end of the game for Golden. But Golden did go ahead and lose 45-38. So there's a couple players I'd like to mention. I'm going to start with the Golden side. Uh, number four, Giselle Riley. Uh, I've seen him a couple weeks now. And he's just a leader and he's trying to get it done at all stages of the ball. He has great pocket awareness and a great arm. He's definitely someone to watch for next season. Now, number two, Luke Cavalier. Number three, Toby Trujillo. Number 14, Tyler Madden. And number 18, Trey Abrams. They all played ex like great games for this Golden Squad. They did everything in their possible power to try and take a win here. But going over to this Dakota Ridge squad, number one, Dante Capolongo. Number four, Noah Triplett. And number four, 57 Tanner Hoffman I'd like to say they all played amazing games I watched number 57 get it done on that defensive line all day I'd like to say number one did it on both sides of the ball and same with number four Noah Triplett getting it done with a couple touchdown scores but then number 14 is going to get my player of the game because he did go ahead and come out of that second half looking like a whole different quarterback so number 14 Adam Graves did go ahead and get that one for me he threw a couple touchdown passes himself, and he definitely managed the game at the end there very, very well, not letting it get back into Golden's hands to tie the game back up. That is going to end my segment here. My name is Mason Austin, and this is the Playmakers Corner. Thank you. And thank you, Mason Austin, for summarizing that 
Dakota Ridge game. I will consider Adam Graves for my 4A Player of the Week, or I might consider someone else from the very same game. So stay tuned for that. But I'm going to jump through 5A football here real quickly. There was not too much news on the 5A level, I'd say. And so, uh, yeah, I'm just going to jump right into it here. And so on Thursday night, you did have a matchup between Douglas County High School and Chaparral High School. This ended up being a very competitive game with, you know, the Chaparral defense kind of making a lot of plays. And, you know, they kind of been doing it all year. They slowed down Beckham Kritza in Fairview and they slowed down A.J. Jackson, easily a top five senior quarterback in this game, you know, forcing three turnovers, intercepting him. I believe once or twice and then forcing a fumble here and you know it, it helps that Kylan Wilson did what Kylan Wilson does with two rushing touchdowns and a passing touchdown and you know it just what Simon Mason and I and even you know Grant Simmons joined us in one game what we've come to learn is that this team is just really thin the uh, Douglas County team is really thin after AJ Jackson and Chase Nelson you know, and that's not necessarily a good thing heading into the playoffs. They're going to have to find creative ways, whether it's play calling on defensive side of the ball or on the offensive side of the ball to, you know, hold teams to less points and just be more creative in general. Because when you bottle up A.J. Jackson, then you force Douglas, Douglas County still almost won this game. Keep that in mind. But when you bottle him up and force turnovers out of him because, you know, he realizes that he has to do so much just to try and beat competitive teams, that spells trouble for this Douglas County team heading into the postseason. You know, in, in what should be one of their best seasons in franchise history, it just, they don't look like they can hang with some of the better teams. And Chaparral here, kudos to them who, you know, they had a monster game out of Colin Wilson, Brayden Monroe, they had... Lots of tackles and lots of dogs. Uh, Cameron Vaught, you know, he's one of the better playmakers in the state, especially on the Chaparral team, especially on the defensive side of the ball, I think. And so, you know, they just overwhelmed this Douglas County team and they get the win 35-32. to 32. Also on this Thursday night, you had a really crazy game in Mountain Vista versus Castleview. You know, Castleview, they tried to let Mountain Vista back into this game. Uh, Austin Modrzewski, I think is how you say his name. He's a freshman at Mountain Vista. And, you know, he helped Mountain Vista claw their way back into this game with two passing touchdowns in the fourth quarter, you know, and one of them was to Nick Stone, who had a gargantuan game, I'd say, with nine catches for 156 yards and two scores. And then, you know, fellow freshman Ja'Kai Mack also caught Austin's other touchdown of the night where he had three touchdowns. You know, if Mountain Vista wins this game, you have the conversation of the Nick Stone being the player of the week. I mean, he had... Just a great game. He's a great athlete. I've seen him live. He does a great job of catching and running with the football. And I think that was the case in this game. But, you know, Castleview, they held on to the ball quite a bit. They forced a lot of turnovers on defense. And Mountain Vista, you know, they had a missed PAT. And they lost this game by one point. And it comes down to missing that PAT. And, you know, Castleview, you know, they gave Mountain Vista a lot of chances. They fumbled with like four minutes left in the game or two minutes left in the game to give Vista one last chance. They gave Vista a lot of short fields because of failed fourth down conversions. But, you know, overall, Castleview still gets this win. They had that solid running back by committee kind of idea. And then Brody Ashworth actually, you know, on his two receptions, caught two touchdowns from Nathan Schmidt. 
And, you know, Nathan Schmidt had one of his best games, if not his best and most clean game of the season against Mountain Vista. And so, you know, Castleview loves to see that heading into the playoffs. And, you know, I think that gets them excited for the playoffs and for the future because Nathan Schmidt is a younger quarterback. So, you know, there's a lot to be excited about there with Nathan Schmidt. On the Friday end of things, just talking some Centennial League talk. You had Cherokee Trail versus Grandview. Grandview ran silly over this paper-thin Cherokee Trail defense, going for five rushing touchdowns and over 300 rushing yards, with Musa Alsafar leading the way with 143. And, you know, they are excited to face Arapaho, who just beat, you know, Smoky Hill 38-14. Cole Hansen played probably the best game of his season, going 15 for 21 for three touchdowns and no interceptions. And talk about Smoky Hill real quick. You know, they're four and five on the season. And they really wanted that loss to Cherokee Trail back. And they slide down to number 20 on RPI. And they kind of have to win against Cherry Creek to make the playoffs. And that is not a team that you want to be in a must-win situation against heading into the stretch of the playoffs. So for the Centennial League, obviously, you have the Arapahoe Warriors and Grandview Wolves meeting up on this Thursday. That will be for the Centennial League Championship. It should be a very good game. Both these teams have only lost one game up until this point in the season, or maybe Grandview's lost two, but this will be a very exciting game. All of Playmakers Corner, I repeat, all of Playmakers Corner, Mason Austin, Simon Villanos, and myself, Cody Stoffer, will all be attending this game, and it will be such a good one. I am so excited for it. But go ahead and stay tuned for the next segment where I will talk players of the week and I will look ahead to next week and talk some standings. Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner. I am your host, Cody Stoffer, and I am going to talk about this week nine Playmakers of the Week and I'm going to go through 1A through 5A, and I'm going to start in Platte Canyon for Alan Hardy, who is my 1A player of the week for the Platte Canyon Huskies. He helped them get a 18-14 win over Bennett and gave them a shot to compete against Manuel for the league title. And in this game, he led the team in rushing yards, he led the team in receiving yards, and he led the team, or was tied for the team lead, I should say, in tackles for loss. He toted the ball 22 times for 84 yards. He had three receptions for 56 yards. So overall, that's 25 touches for 140 yards, just about. And then you have six tackles. And like I said, the two tackles for loss. He was massive in this very close win against, you know, Bennett High School. And just being it, he didn't get any of the rushing touchdowns. But I think that he was probably the most important running back in this game. And he helped, you know, Platte Canyon get that dub. So kudos to Alan Hardy, my 1A playmaker of the week. In 2A, playing for Northfield, I have Cameron Joyce Fairley. These are a bit less specific stats, but he opened up the game with a long kickoff return to Midland Park's 25-yard line. And Midland Park did surrender a touchdown to Northfield on that opening drive, making it 7-0, which they did not relinquish that lead for the rest of the game. And then later in that first half, he also had a punt return to Midland Park's 39-yard line. But most importantly, after Midland Park got a safety against Northfield and they got the ball with under two minutes left, 
Cameron Joyce Fairley here sealed the game with an interception with, like I said, about a minute left to secure Northfield's 21-20 league and keep Northfield undefeated in league play. And, you know, this should help them win a league title and prepare for playoffs. So congratulations to Cameron Joyce Fairley, Cody Stoffer's 2A Playmaker of the Week. In 3A, we have a very familiar face here in Pueblo South's cornerback slash defensive back, Jace Bella. He is not really here for his offensive prowess. You know, in the passing game, he went 11-21 for 118 yards. Not too bad. No touchdowns, no interceptions. Rushing-wise, he did have eight carries for 48 yards and two touchdowns. But the real reason why he's here, obviously the combination of offense and defensive plays makes you quite the playmaker if you can do it on both sides of the ball. And his highlight, I believe, is the 70-yard pick six he had against Pueblo East and leading Pueblo South to a 20-19 victory over a very solid Pueblo East squad. Jace Bella scored 18 of 20 in Pueblo South's total points. And for that, he is my playmaker of the week on the 3A level, Jace Bella. On the 4A level, you know, I am going to choose my playmaker of the week from the Dakota Ridge game. Mason said that his player of the game was Adam Graves for Dakota Ridge High School. He said he was a completely different quarterback and he really turned it up in that second half to help Dakota Ridge come out with a dub. But I'm going to go with the running back, Noah Triplett, who had 24 rushes for 147 yards and three touchdowns, including the go-ahead touchdown run with under a minute left, that four-yard touchdown run to help Dakota Ridge maintain their undefeated season and definitely secure that league title in that very competitive 4A Jeffco League. He's been doing it all year, but this was the biggest game of the season for them, and he did it one more time. He also tacked on another three receptions for 28 yards, but that go-ahead touchdown run and that clutch DNA in Noah Triplett is definitely what gives him my 4A Playmaker of the Week. On the 5A level, I briefly mentioned Braden Monroe for Chaparral having a solid game, but I did not emphasize how solid of a game. He did have two tackles on defense, but the real story for him on defense is when he returned a fumble for a 76-yard scoop and score, which obviously plays greatly into Chaparral's hands, winning this touchdown, uh, winning this football game against Douglas County. He also had a kickoff returned for a touchdown. I believe it was an 88-yard kickoff return. Once again, another 70-plus-yard play out of Braden Monroe. That wasn't his only one of the night. Obviously, he had the fumble return and a 77-yard catch-and-run touchdown. That was a part of his three receptions for 147 yards and a score stat line at wide receiver. But he wasn't done as in the special teams game, he did have a blocked field goal, which turns out to be massive when you win 35 to 32. So Brayden Monroe with a receiving touchdown, a scoop and score touchdown, a kickoff return touchdown, and a blocked field goal. That makes him the very obvious choice, in my opinion, in a three-point win to be my 5A Playmaker of the Week. So once again, on the 1A level, Alan Hardy of Platte Canyon High School. On the 2A level, Cameron Joyce Fairley out of Northfield. On the 3A level, Pueblo South's very own Jace Bella. On the 4A level, Noah Triplett of Dakota Ridge. 
and on the 5A level, Braden Monroe of Chaparral. Those are your Playmakers of the Week. And stay tuned for Week 10 preview as well as RPI recap and playoff looks coming up. Hey all and welcome to the very last segment of Playmakers Corner. And we are going to start off by talking RPI here. And then we are going to work our way through the, you know, next week's schedule, week 10. There's not too many exciting games, but there are some games that will have some stakes to them. So let's go ahead and check it out on the 1A level. In Chassa's RPI updated October 26th at 9 a.m., you have Centauri at number one with a 7-0 record. Buena Vista at number two at 9-0. Lyman at 8-0 at number three. All three of these teams did win this last week, obviously, by their undefeated record. Ray at 6-2. You know, they just beat Yuma. Florence High School at 7-1. They still remain in the top five despite their loss to Buena Vista. Meeker at 6-2. Wiggins at 6-2. They won 40 to nothing against Burlington. Strasburg at 5-3, who I will actually go watch against Flatirons Academy. Gunnison at 7-1 is number 9. And to round out your top 10 is the 6-2 North Fork team. All of these top 10 teams are very solid. Obviously, you have the three undefeated guys at all, at, all up top. They will not face each other probably until the playoffs. At number 11, you have Holyoke High School, who just came off a tough loss to... Lyman, but has Yuma coming up next. Monte Vista, who is 6-2. Highland, who is 6-3 at 12-13. Yuma is number 14 at 4-4. Four four. Then you have Colorado Springs Christian at 3-4. Flatirons Academy at 6-2. Peyton is 5-3 at the 17. Bennett is 3-5 at 18. Banning Lewis Academy is 19. Grand Valley is number 20 at 4-4. Four Ignacio is five and three. Platte Canyon is five and three. But, you know, those are the RPI. The top 16 teams make it, but that includes, you know, the the division winners, the league winners. So to go through the 1A leagues real quick, you have the 1A Foothills, the 1A North Central, the 1A Northern, the 1A Santa Fe, the 1A Southern Peaks, the 1A Tri Peaks, and the 1A Western. So Simon did talk about the 1A Santa Fe. He went to that Peyton versus Banning Lewis Academy game. So Peyton will secure the 1A Santa Fe League title. They are 5-3 right now, and they are the cream of the crop there. In the 1A Foothills, you have Platte Canyon, who I talked about, Alan Hardy being my 1A Player of the Week, who is at 5-3. They are 4-0 in league, and they have Manuel up next. They will probably win this 1A Foothills League. It'll either be them or Manuel winning that league. In the 1A North Central League, this is the most competitive league in all of 1A. Lyman is 8-0. Ray is 6-2. Holyoke is 5-3. Wiggins is 6-2. Yuma is 4-4. I think that Lyman through Wiggins should make the playoffs, and then whoever wins between Holyoke and Yuma will have the higher RPI and will make the playoffs. If Yuma loses this game, I do not like their odds of making playoffs. So, And all of these other teams are in must-win games on the last week but they all play each other. But I think Holyoke takes care of business and secures that last playoff spot. 
in the 1A Northern, you have Strasbourg leading the way at 3-0 in league games. Highland is 6-3 and Flatirons Academy is 6-2. So whoever wins this game next Friday that I'm going to at 3 o'clock at Flatirons Academy between Strasbourg and Flatirons is going to be crowned the league champion, especially if Strasbourg wins it and advances to 4-0 in league play and six and three on the season they might even have landon martin back but we'll stay tuned for that in the southern peaks centauri is definitely going to win this league they are seven and oh they are the best football team in this league monte vista is right behind them at six and two but i just don't see them catching them even at a three and oh league record centauri they're ranked number one for a reason and they should win this league in the 1a tri-peaks Buena Vista just beat Florence, you know, to secure the league title against Florence. But I definitely, you know, Florence is still a top five team on the 1A football level. So they will be making the playoffs. None of these other teams, I don't know if Colorado Springs Christian or Rye should or will make the playoffs. And last but not least, in the Western Slope, this is a very competitive league as well. Meeker is currently leading it as they are 6-0 in league at and have a 6-2 record on the season. And one of those losses is to Lyman, so that's quality loss. Gunnison is 7-1, going 4-1 in league. And North Fork is 6-2, going 4-1. And, and one of those two losses is, of course, to Buena Vista in a very close game. So, you know, lots of good teams here. I think all three of those top teams should make the playoffs. So, counting through it, you have 1-2-3 from the 1A Western Slope. I think that you have 2 from the 1A Tri-Peaks, so that makes five. You only have one team from Santa Fe that's going to make it, in my opinion, and that's gonna be Peyton High School. So, and then also in the, um, I think it was in the Foothills, probably only one of these teams. Yeah, Platte Canyon makes it, so that puts you at about seven. And then you have the 1A North Central League, who's looking to probably send four teams. So that puts you at 11 there. In the 1A Northern, I could see Strasbourg, maybe even Highland as well making it, honestly. Um, that's going to be kind of a coin toss because you're starting to get to 13 teams and it's really competitive. So that's kind of what the 1A football level looks like. Now, looking at the 2A Chess RPA. By the way, for those who don't know how it works, 16 teams get to make it. All of the league winners make it on 1 through 5A. But in 1 through 3A, 16 teams make playoffs. So the next nine or so teams, eight or so teams, make it based off of Chassa RPI. And then on the 4 and 5A level, you have 24 teams that make it. So eight teams, the top eight seeds, the league winners will all get a bye, I believe. On the 2A level, Eaton is currently ranked number one at 8 and 0. Resurrection Christian, who is in that Patriot League as well, is 6 and 1. TCA is 7 and 0. So you have. Three of our top contenders from the previews doing well. Moffat County, they did lose that game to Delta, but they are ranked number four in RPI, but they might lose their league. Severance is number five at six and two. Delta, after that massive win over Moffat County, is ranked number six now. They got a huge boost there. Bayfield, who I talked about, should win the Southwestern Conference. They are six and one. Basalt is six and two. Alamosa is six and two. And Elizabeth rounds out the top 10 at 6-2 as well. Then going to 16, you have Brush 6-2, University 5-3, Platte Valley 5-3, Northfield 5-3, Kent Denver 5-2, and, 
the academy five and three with a very tough game to end this season so that's what the 2a level is looking like on the outside looking in you have woodland park who's four and three la hunta who's four and four montezuma cortez at three and five and sterling because of that rpi at two and six looking at who leads some of these divisions you have the 2a colorado league is very competitive you actually have the title for league between elizabeth and kent denver this upcoming friday they are both well elizabeth is six and two kent denver is five and two and they're both undefeated in league currently so whoever wins that game will represent the 2a colorado league as the league winner in the 2a Flatirons league northfield like i said they got that huge win over middle park and that puts them in the ideal position to win league they are three and oh currently and they should be de evelyn in their season closer and will probably be the only team to represent the 2a Flatirons. faith christian might sneak in there they have one of the best running backs in the state i think but they might just narrowly miss out because of rpi and you know going 500 this season in the 2a patriot east you have brush at six and two they should win this then you have Platte Valley at 5-3. and three. Both these teams are very solid. I'm pretty sure Brush beat Platte Valley in the head-to-head. Kind of good, too. A very solid win. Uh, I predicted Sterling to win this. They had a couple of guys not play football this season and played basketball instead. So I think that's really tough for them. And so Brush should represent the 2A Patriot East. And Platte Valley might be able to secure a wild card of sorts. 2A Patriot West. This is the best conference or league in 2A, in my opinion. Eaton at 8-0, Resurrection Christian at 6-1, University at 5-3, Severance at 6-2. The only teams that they lose to are the ones inside this league, basically. You know, University's 2-2, two two, Severance 2-2. Two two. Eaton has secured their league title with that win against Severance, so they will be heading into the playoffs as the representative of the 2A Patriot West. And they will probably see one of these three next teams in the playoffs you only have a couple more here you have the 2a southwest here and in that you have you know i covered all these teams to begin salida they're sorry like i said they were going to be their 0 and 8 this year and couldn't even be a manitou springs team that was playing short staffed but the two top teams are two teams that i'm not really surprised to see here bayfield and alamosa i noticed that they had some you know sophomores and juniors playing last year and i was like oh i bet they'll round into shape and you know, their defenses took a step forward this year, and their quarterbacks have been pretty phenomenal this year. Bayfield did thump Alamosa 28 to nothing in their one meeting. So, you know, that's why Alamosa's 3-1, and one, and they'll have to settle for a runner-up spot. And Bayfield is number 7 and will, you know, win that Southwest. In the 2A Tri-Peaks League, you have TCA at 7-0. They were one of our favorites to contend for... 2a and probably one of the only good they're like the only test we haven't seen is them against eaton and that really might be the championship so and then you have woodland park and la hunta four and three and four and four respectively both on the outside kind of looking in looking for a bone to be thrown to them i don't know if it will be and in the 2a west last but not least you have some really solid teams here delta who beat moffitt county both these teams are seven and one delta is four and oh in league so they'll probably win this league but Moffat County is going to be a really tough draw for whoever they face in the opening round, in my opinion. And then you have Basalt, who is six and two. They should make the playoffs. They have great talent there. You know, I talk about Kate Schneider and Sam Sherry all the time. So that is kind of what the 2A is shaping up to be. Is probably Delta, Moffat County, Basalt representing the 2A West. 
then in the 2a patriot west you're probably going to have four teams so that puts you at seven and then at that point there's only one two three four five other you know leagues so that puts you at 12 teams and the southwest is going to send two and i bet the east sends two so that is kind of what 2a football looks like heading into this last week and make sure to stay tuned for you know our last week of the regular season recap where we'll also be doing a playoff preview and talking about the chassa brackets moving to the 3a level here as far as rpi goes roosevelt secured their spot at number one rpi and probably home field advantage throughout the playoffs by beating Fort Morgan. Speaking of Fort Morgan, they are string, still ranked number two in RPI. I think they should probably be bumped down to three because Lutheran is undefeated at number three. But, you know, the opponent's strength of schedule has a lot to do with that. Then you have Holy Family at number four at five and three, Mead at six and one, Palisade at six and two, Pueblo East at four and four. Durango is 6-2 at number 8. Pueblo South is 6-2. That win against Pueblo East was massive for them. Evergreen is 6-2 at number 10. Discovery Canyon is number 11, even though they're 3-4. That's because of their opponents, I guess. Then Northridge, 12 at 6-2. Frederick, 6-1. Pueblo County, 5-3. Steamboat Springs, 6-2. And, and Green Mountain, 5-3. With our boys Glenwood Springs on the outside looking in at 4-4. Four four. George Washington at 5-3. Summit, oh man. Summit should make the playoffs at five and three. And Thomas Jefferson is also five and three. So you definitely have some questionable. This is probably the level of football where losing has been rewarded the most because of teams facing very specific strengths of schedule. But you know, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of these uh, leagues, I should say. I always say competence, but I mean leagues. And in the 3A Central West, this is a very competitive one. You have Palisade, who is going to win it. They're 3-0. They just took handled business against Summit, and they handled business against Steamboat Springs. They are 6-2 on the season. They have Malachi Espinosa, who's been a playmaker of the week before on the 1A, or 3A level. And then you also have Summit here, who's second in the league. They are 2-1 in league, including a 5-3 record. And Steamboat Springs slid to third in the league, Following their loss to Palisade, they are 6-2. and two. All three of these teams should make the playoffs, especially Summit. I think that they probably have the best quarterback out of all three of those teams. You have the 3A Denver Prep. It looks like Thomas Jefferson will be representing this league, especially after they beat George Washington on Saturday. Denver North is kind of also in the mix at 5-3. and three. Strength of schedule is playing a, to be a bit tricky in here, but Denver North is 2-1 in the league. George Washington is 2-1. Riverdale Ridge is 2-1. And, and Thomas Jefferson is 3-0. So they look to be the league winners of this league, but there's still a lot to play for in these last two weeks for Denver prep teams. You also have the 3A North Central 2. I talked about them in the segment. Mead and Frederick will play eventually. And Holy Family, you know, they just barely lost to me. They are a very solid team. And they are still ranked like number four in the state. So ranked ahead of Mead, I might add. So... Three teams are probably going to be coming from this 3A North Central T, um, League, despite how questionable it might be. In the 3A North Central 3, these have the two best teams in all of 3A football in Roosevelt and Fort Morgan. Like I said, I got to go to their game. There's so much talent and athleticism on both sides of these squads. You also have Northridge, who has to face Fort Morgan to end this season. And they're staring, they're on the outside looking in. They're 1-1, one and, one, and they are 6-2 and two overall in the season. 
but they should be helped out by Roosevelt if they thump Niwa and thump Mountain View, putting Niwa to a one and two record as well. But you know, there's another three teams that could definitely make the playoffs here, and the three is definitely the most conflicting, confusing version of this entire league. You have in the 3A Northwest Lutheran versus Green Mountain. I think that's next Friday. Those two teams will be playing for the league title. Lutheran at 8-0, Green Mountain at 5-3, but both are undefeated in league. You also have Evergreen, who is 6-2 and 1-2 and in league. That's kind of a rough record, but I think they get to end the season against the likes of a Lewis Palmer and or a Littleton. So that should help them out a little bit in a bid to make the playoffs. In the 3A Southern, you have Durango at 6-2, and, and they're going to win the Southern. There's no doubt about it there. 3-0, Harrison is 2-6, Discovery Canyon's 3-4, Sand Creek's 4-4. It's not a very good league. Um, you know, we were definitely wrong on our predictions of Harrison. Their size up front didn't translate to a whole lot of wins for them this year. And Durango, you know, they've created a winning culture down there. We just have to see how they will do outside of their league because they have struggled and been trounced in other situations throughout this year. In the 3A Southern 2, this is where Pueblo South, Pueblo County, and Pueblo East all are at 6-2, and 5-3, and 4-4, and four and four, respectively. Pueblo South is 3-0. They did beat Pueblo East. I think they have Pueblo County and Pueblo Central left, I believe, is the rest of their schedule. I'm not sure in what order they are, but if they win those two games, which they should, they will finish 8-2 and two and win this 3A two, uh, Southern 2 League. Pueblo East has been helped out pretty significantly by RPI and looks to close out their season with some wins against some of these other Pueblo teams in Canyon City. And Pueblo County, they are in a must-win situation for their remaining games if they even want a chance to represent 3A in. So yeah, I don't know really what else. There's not a whole lot I can say about this because it's the most confusing one with RPI and the standings being so conflicted on who's leading leagues and who's doing well in the standings. You have teams with losing and 500 records in like the top 10. So, or top 11, I guess I should say, with Discovery Canyon at 11, which I understand they've played a tough schedule, but reward the football teams for winning, god dang it. Anyways, moving on to the 4A RPI standings. You have at number one on this 4A level, Montrose, who is currently undefeated at 9-0. We still haven't made it out to a game, and we need some help, you know, finding some talent on that team. Let us know about some seniors for this Montrose team that can make our top five lists, but... Then you have Pine Creek, who is ranked number two. Both of their losses are to 5A teams. Nothing to freak out about there. So that's why they're at number two at 7-2. Palmer Ridge, they're 8-1. Their only loss of the season was to Montrose, where they just played kind of a sloppy game. I think Erie should probably be rewarded a bit more for being undefeated because they've dom they haven't maybe played the toughest schedule, but they've dominated everybody that they've played. So that's that's kind of what I think of Erie. Then obviously you have Dakota Ridge at number six. They have Chatfield ranked ahead of them at seven and two. Dakota Ridge, they have Chatfield this last week. Just go out and win. Finish the season 10-0. Get a high seed. Dakota Ridge has been slept on for too dang long. They are hungry for a title this year. And I just want to see if they're going to do it. So, you know, then you have Vista Ridge, who was also one of our preseason predictions to win state on the 4A level. It's definitely the most competitive level of football. I don't think any of these teams are leagues better than anybody else. I think that, you know, even some of the lower seeded teams could pull off upsets, you know, depending on who they draw in the opening round. You have Ponderosa here. They're not going to win their league, but they're six and three. They stay competitive. Loveland at eight and one. Fountain Fort Carson at eight and one. That's your top 10. Not to mention the next, you know, at 
11 through 16, you have Bear Creek, 7 and 2. Golden, 7 and 2. Pueblo West, 5 and 4. Denver South, 8 and 1. They are, I just saw them light it up. Uh, Fruit of Monument, 6 and 3. Mesa Ridge, 5 and 4. Skyline, 6 and 3. Longmont, 5 and 4. The worst team up here is at 4 and 5. Broomfield is ranked 19th, and that's because they've played some of the toughest teams in this entire state. Cheyenne Mountain, as Simon so uh, eloquently described, did win the I-25 South on Thursday night, I think it was. Yeah, Thursday night. And so they are 8-1 and one at number 20. Falcon is still somehow ranked 21 at 5-3. and three. I think Aurora Central is a much better team than them. They should be ranked ahead of them. They are at 22. They are 7-2. Then you have Windsor at 4-5 and five and Vista Peak Prep at 6-3, clinging to that 24th spot. And I think that they play Denver South, which is a very tough draw for that football team. And in the conferences themselves, in the 4A I-25 League, as Simon, you know, described. Cheyenne Mountain secured that win, and they are at 8-1 and undefeated in league play, and they have wide field left, which they should trounce. So, and then Falcon is at 5-3, and three, and they're going to need some help. They're going to have to beat Thornton, and they're going to need some help if they wish to make the playoffs. I don't think they deserve to make the playoffs. I echo Simon's sentiment that this coaching staff is sorry, and I don't want to watch Falcon football in the playoffs. I really don't. There's plenty of other teams with talented playbooks and talented players who I'd much rather see. In the 4A Metro 1, you have, this is probably the best league in the entire state, Dakota Ridge leading at a 9-0, including 4-0 in league, with good win, a very big win against Bear Creek, who's 7-2 and 3-1 in league. And, you know, they also beat Golden, and Golden falls to 2-2 in league, and they fall to fourth place, but they have one of the best quarterbacks in the state, in Giselle Riley, and, you know, they're going to make the playoffs. They deserve to make the playoffs. And then Bear Creek is at 7-2. Like I said, they're 3-1 in league. And Chatfield is 7-2, including 3-1 in league, including a very big upset win over Golden, I'd say, that they secured at the last second. So, And they face off against Dakota Ridge. And I don't think Dakota Ridge can lose league, even if Chatfield goes 4-1. I'm not exactly sure how that plays out. But overall, one of the more talented leagues. Bear Creek has solid defense and a good running back in Ryan Scovia. Chatfield has, you know, a very good secondary and great you know backfield over there golden has one of the more talented quarterbacks in the state dakota ridge is just really talented on both sides of the ball they have some of the best athletes in dante capolongo and noah triplet on that squad as well as adam graves who's been putting it together more and more every single week in the 4a metro 2 league this is the denver south versus aurora central league i talked about how important this league would be in the TikToks and in the episode where I spotlighted Denver South, Aurora Central, and Vista Peak Prep. Vista Peak Prep, like I said, is number 24, so they are in that very last spot of RPIs right now. They are 6-3. and three. Aurora Central is 7-2. and two. They should end the season on a win and still make the playoffs. Denver South has a big game against Vista Peak Prep, and Vista Peak is in a must-win situation to make the playoffs. Denver South they do walk away with the league win after beating Aurora Central last Thursday night that I went to. And it shows. They're, those are all very talented teams in that 4A Metro 2 as well. In the 4A Northern 1, Erie runs away with this league at 9-0, 4-0 in league, including beating the next closest team, Broomfield, who's 4-5. You know, Broomfield 4-5, Brighton 4-5, Windsor 4-5, Silver Creek 4-5. And, and my... Uh, my last coaching spot at Greeley West, they are currently going through a lot and haven't won a game yet this season. But hopefully they can sneak one out against, well, Broomfield has a lot to play for. 
they need to win this game to go 500 and make the playoffs. So that's a very tough draw. And so they'll probably send two teams, I think, is probably as, as many as, sh as should go. Because the 4A Northern 2 is also very talented. You have Loveland at 8-1. They're going to win this league. They're 4-0 in league play. Skyline is 6-3, 3-1 in league play. And they play Longmont this week on Friday. They are 5-4. And, and so Keegan Patterson is going to try and lead his team to the playoffs with an upset win over Skyline here. Can he do it is the big question. We might be at that game. No telling yet. But one of the candidates for Playmaker of the Year will be playing. The 4A Southern one, this is the really competitive one where Montrose is undefeated. Palmer Ridge is 8-1, 3-1 in league. Vista Ridge, they are 6-2. They got helped out with a huge win over Ponderosa, who fell to 6-3 and 2-2 and in the league. That was a very good win for Vista Ridge in order to secure probably a better uh, playoff seating. And in the 4A Southern two, this should be no one's surprise that Fountain Fort Carson is running away with this league. They're 8-1, 4-0 in the league. I was at the Mesa Ridge game. They have great defense fountain fort carson does they have some good athletes on the offensive side of the ball we'll just have to see if their quarterback becomes a liability in the playoffs that is the biggest question mark and then fruit of monument is obviously gunning for one of those lower seeds in mesa ridge they have been helped out significantly by rpi same with pueblo west who's also five and four both those teams do play a lot of really tough teams and we'll see if they make the playoffs but if one of them goes 500 they might fall out Last but not least, we have the 5A Chassa RPI. This is the one of the more wild ones and some of the leagues. You have number one, Valor Christian at 9-0. Number two, Ross Valley 8-1. Number three, Legend at 8-1. They are one of the more exciting teams. They have that Bryce Vaz kid. Number four, Cherry Creek in a surprise turn of events when they lost to number five, Arapahoe in Arapahoe by you know a very small margin mason austin was at that game and he reported on it if you want to hear more about that listen to the week eight recap and they face number six grandview for the centennial league championship who is seven and two regis jesuit is six and three at number seven pomona is six and three at number eight arvada west is seven and two at number nine thunder ridge is number 10 at eight and one and they face valor christian for that league title in this last week Columbine is number 11 at 6-3. Fort Collins is 7-2 at 12. Legacy, 6-3. Cherokee Trail, 5-4 at 14. Castleview, 6-3 at 15. Fairview, 6-3 at 16 right there in that middle. Chaparral, 5-4 at 17. Douglas County, 6-3. And they are ranked number 18, which is only fitting because they lost Chaparral this last week. Lakewood is number 19 at 3-6. Smoky Hill is number 20 at 4-5. Mountain Vista is number 21 at 3-6. is number 22 at 2-7. Fossil Ridge is number 23 at 4-5. Rocky Mountain is 24 at 4-5. Then you have 4-5 Rock Canyon, 4-4 four four Westminster, 3-6 Pooter. Doherty is 28 at 0-9 ahead of winning football teams. God, RPI, once you start to move up, in, in the A's, it starts to get really ridiculous, in my opinion. So let's go ahead and go through the standings and think about who I think should make the playoffs. Arapahoe, 8-1. Like I said, they face 7-2 Grandview. That will be for the Centennial League Championship. Arapahoe is 4-0 in league. Grandview is 3-1 with their only loss occurring to Creek. So whoever wins this game should be the 5A's Centennial League champ. I don't know if Cherry Creek can win it at 7-2. They face Smoky Hill, who, if they lose this game, they fall to 4-6, and six, and they're probably on the outside looking in for the playoffs. Cherokee Trail, they're 5-4. and four. And they have, I think, Eagle Crest. So they should win this game and move to 6-4 and four 
in their schedule and probably make the playoffs. So I think out of this Centennial League, you should have Arapaho, Cherry Creek, Grandview, Cherokee Trail, all will make the playoffs. And Smoky Hill might be your 24th seed, depending on how RPI treats them. In the 5A Douglas County League, you have Valor Christian, who faced off against Thunder Ridge for the league title. Both these teams are 4-0 in league. Thunder Ridge is 8-1 on the season. Valor Christian is 9-0. We'll see if Thunder Ridge has what it takes to beat this team. Castleview is 6-3 and, and should make the playoffs. Rock Canyon, Mountain Vista, no, they should not make the playoffs. I strongly disagree with that, even though you know they've faced a lot of really tough teams and they play in a very tough division. Rock Canyon, if they end 500, they go 5-5 five and five to end the season, I like it. Mountain Vista, you cannot finish the season 3-7 and seven and make playoffs. That would be so dumb, in my opinion. Then 5A Jeffco, almost all these teams are going to make the playoffs. I don't think Mullen should. Mullen is dog water. They're two and seven. I don't care if they play in the toughest. No, every team in this Jeffco league is slated to make it. And I got to be honest with you, Arvada West is probably the most pro prepared out of all of these teams with, you know, with a passing offense. Pomona can't really pass the ball. Rouston Valley can't really pass the ball. Columbine literally cannot pass the ball. They cannot. They throw it like three times a game. Columbine is sorry. And it's it showed with their skid lately. But anyways, we will be at the Pomona game on Thursday. Simon Villanos and I will be there. And it should be a good football game. I'm very excited to see that and see my old coach, Nate Johnson, as well as our boy, Don Nichols and Chase Muller. I finally get to see him in person. And, you know, if they win, they will win this Jeffco League because they are 4-0 in it currently. Ralston Valley faces Arvada West. But, you know, I do think Pomona through Columbine should make the playoffs. I do not think Lakewood or Mullen should. I think that's super dumb. Super duper dumb and whack. In the 5A Metro 1, you have Fort Collins at 7-2. They're going to win this league. They're 4-0. I think Westminster should probably make the playoffs because they are 4-4 and 3-1 and and in league. But RPI. So there's that. Then in the 5-4A South, Pine... Uh, Legends should probably win this. They are 4-0, and you know they should be one of the higher seeds in the playoffs. Then you also have Regis at 6-3, Chaparral at 5-4, and, and Douglas County at 6-3. Luckily, they all get to beat up on Doherty. If Doherty makes the playoffs, I will riot. 5A North, you have Legacy currently leading at 6-3, 4-0 in league. Fossil Ridge with that junior quarterback is scrapping, trying to get to 5-5 five and, five and make the playoffs. Then you also have Fairview led by that sensational rookie Beckham Kritza, who is six and three and three and one on the league play. So that's kind of what 5A looks like. I'm just gonna see how the cookie crumbles more than anything because I do think it's ridiculous. Oh, and in the 5A Metro 2, Overland is currently leading at four and five, three and one in league. Far Northeast Warriors is four and five, three and one in league. Then you have honestly, any of these teams could probably win this league and it wouldn't make too much of a difference. Hopefully Denver East, you know, we're rooting for our EPO guys out there and Coach Stan to win their league. They've had some, they had a really tough loss against Prairie View this past week by one point. So that really hurts their chances. But that is kind of what the RPI and overall standings look like. I am very pleased with how one through two, one and two A look perfectly fine to me. Three A definitely has some question marks. Four A is actually not that bad. Five A Man, why are there only like eight teams with winning records? And why do they run more simplistic offense than some 4A teams? But that is a rant for another day. If you really want to know how I feel about that, go to uh, episode 50 
That is a culture problem. Listen to that. But anyways, I wish all of these teams luck heading into the last week of the season. I'm very excited for the games that Simon, Mason, and I will get to see this weekend that include high school and middle school football games. But other than that, I have been your host, Cody Stoffer. That concludes this episode of Playmakers Corner. Make sure to find us on TikTok at Playmakers Corner, Instagram at Playmakers Corner, and Twitter at Playmaker Corner. We're also on Facebook under Playmakers Corner. Uh, we also have a website, playmakerscorner.com. Go ahead and check us out there and see what we got there for content. You know, we have all of our episodes up into the previews posted there. Shout out to Simon Villanos, who has been murdering it on that front. So thank you so much. We've been coming out with more TikTok content lately. And thank you so much. We're probably going to break 2,000 Instagram followers following the release of this episode. We broke 3,000 followers on TikTok. So thank you guys so much there. And this episode will probably push us over 10,000 listens. I am so grateful for all of you supporters and listeners. Thank you so much for making this possible and for your understanding and flexibility as three of us try and cover all of Colorado football on the one through five year level and middle school level, preparing those kiddos for the next level. I have been your host, Cody Stoffer, and peace out.